Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. Getting a new vehicle can be stressful, but not at Lake Elsinore Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram. That's where surfers go inland to purchase their new and used vehicles. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack, customized eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Just live. We believe a life is meant to be lived to its fullest potential. In order to do that, you need to feel at your best, both physically and mentally. We founded this community to share what we found as professional athletes that can help people of all walks of life. So, you can go out and do exactly what you're supposed to do. Just live. Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky Podcast. Our guest this week has an extensive list of accomplishments in quite a few different industries, specializing in eyewear for two decades. Big titles here, COO at Arnett in the 90s, and then on to co-founding and was CEO at Electric Eyewear. They sold a a Volcom for a cool 25 mil. Not too shabby. Damn. In 2009, he co-founded a tequila brand. We like tequila. Peligroso. And sold that brand. This guy. Jersey, he likes to party. And that was for an undisclosed amount. I couldn't find any info on that. We'll have to find that out. 
Coming off a hot streak of success, he co-founded this guy, starting brand after brand, an apparel brand to practice, but as we know, not all business ventures work out, and that brand was unfortunately short-lived. But this player still has moves, and since 2016, he's been a mortgage professional and advisor, in addition to being a brand manager and consultant guru. Motherfucker likes money. Yeah. <laughs> Senior playa, here he is. We're stoked to sit down with the one and only Bruce Bird Beach. Birdman. Wow. Yeah, boys. Birdman. Wow. Woo. Senior playa, I love it. Well, it's, a, it's an honor to be on uh, with you guys. Thank uh, you. Legends uh, who... Uh, Couple I've surfed knuckleheads. with and partied with and uh, are now uh, very successful in your own right. Dude, I want to say a quote from Tony G. Ocean Hut. Ocean Hut. <laughs> he told us this, uh, he was on the podcast and yeah. he said, yeah, you know, Florida might have the oranges, but Jersey, Jersey has the juice. juice. So good. I love it. Yeah. Well, cheers. Thanks cheers. For cheers. And Cheers. Let's talk about our on location uh, studio for the night. Yeah. And it is night, late night. It is late night. It is late night. We're, this is probably one of the latest episode oh, no, times. Come on. One of them. One of them. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have it any other way. But <laughs> we're not going to be late night in the day. Yeah. Come on. Shit, right? Yeah. Hey, don't pull our cover, bro. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Outpost Kitchen in Costa Mesa. Yeah. Um, go check them out on Bristol over by South Coast Plaza. Yeah. We got the bomb food. Our buddy. Jay. Jay Lewis. I yeah. recommend the Hawaiian bowl. It's fucking super delicious. Yeah. But yeah, thanks Jay at Outpost Kitchen for hooking us up with Definitely. The, our, our um, what is it? Temporary studio. It is. You We're going to maximize this yeah. as much as we can. Yeah. We, we, uh, we did a podcast. I think we were telling you earlier, we did a <laughs> podcast here and uh, coincided with a food tasting and um, Let's just say An alcohol pairing with the food tasting. Yeah, let's just say that <laughs> it was kind of uh, lightweight over here. Yeah, light, late night and lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should call the we, show. Oh, really? It should be a shirt. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I blacked out and um, was ashamed and never released it for like. Well, I was ashamed and I didn't release it for like two years. Come on, that didn't even supersede some of your other. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that. But hey, the show is not about late night and late white. Wait, <laughs> late night and lightweight. The show is about that's a tongue Bruce. <laughs> Monsieur Laplage, uh, Senior Playa, aka Bird, yes. aka Birdman. All, right. All right, let's let our guests speak. Yeah, well. <laughs> You guys, you guys uh, mentioned Tony G at Ocean Hut, and uh, you know I grew up in I grew up in South Jersey, so you know Ocean Hut, Tony G, uh, Greg Masenko, Grogs, fucking legends. Uh, um, you know George Gerlach at Surfer Supplies, um, Dan Heritage, Brian Heritage, Barbara Heritage, the whole Heritage crew. Um, you know I I grew up just. You know, watching those guys, surfing with those guys, guys like um, Mark Newstetter, who, you know, yeah. back, back when I met Mark in the 80s, he was, I was about 16 or 15 and surfing Atlantic City, Uptown, States Avenue. And, you know, back then you, you'd get, you could get beat up just walking across the boardwalk, you know, so it was a, it was a tough, tough crowd. But guys like, guys like Mark and, 
Steve Dwyer from Longport and uh, you know we'd go up up north and mix it up with the boys up there and Eddie Okinski and some of the the mainstays like Scotty Doerr and you know my wow. one of my best friends oh, Tom nice. Matthews and and then we had the Jersey Devil, Dean Randazzo. So it was yeah. it was a rad place and a rad time to grow up in the late 70s and early 80s. I, I don't Ooh. want to fast forward to, to like you being a ripper. I want to start at the beginning. But fuck. Like when you think about how much history. Culture. And everything. culture. Yeah. And, you know, New Jersey is fucking holding. Yeah. You yeah. know, like there's a lot of. You know, you named a bunch of them, but gosh, like to to you know realize and learn about how many, how much, how much surfing was such a big part of that, and it know? still is. And I, I think a it lot still of, is, yeah. But I think a lot of the you know stigma of the West Coast surfers are like, oh, the East Coast sucks. It's flat, but it definitely gets fucking really good. I've oh, been right, there when yeah. it's really good, and they don't you know like they don't are exposed to that culture you know yeah. like they just hear about it it's like oh you know it kind of gets a bad rap because it's yeah. like it's not as what well, consistent I think, as the I think west coast now but with social media it's like you, you not know, that we want to blow up these you see it all the time and you hear about it all the time but back back in that in those days in the 70s and 80s um it was still kind of underground because most of the best best waves were in the winter and you'd suit up like crazy man you'd have everything like things people didn't even know about you'd wear socks under your booties you put vaseline <laughs> on your face you wear lycra underneath so um we would do crazy stuff to surf all winter but the surf the surf was was pumping and now you know the generations you watch there's there's like great barrel riders from you know new jersey like the sam hammers or the rob kelly's generations of, yeah. of guys who are just like you know they're great, and you guys like in New New York or Long Island, Balaram, and all yeah. these guys, and it's 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 so rad to see. It's been going on for a long time, but back in the in the in the day, you know, nobody, not many guys were shooting photos. There's a few guys yeah. who, you know, I used to hang with like Michael Baytoff or Ray Hall Green or you know legends like well, that. You, you mentioned like social media today, and. and you know, the magazine coverage back then, they maybe do a, a East Coast highlight on one of the yeah, hurricane yeah. swells. But now with social media, you're right. Like, you get, you see scoring waves, like, all, all, every storm, yeah. all winter, and it's it's definitely exposed now, and the, which, is, yeah. which is bittersweet the of, because... The power of Instagram, the power yeah. of YouTube, and, you know, the talent, like you mentioned, Sam Hammer, fucking Rob Kelly, I was there for the finals of the grudge match last yeah, year. Yeah, I just saw that and I was so, it was like, you know. And you got like Ben Grady. So cool to like, see, you know, yeah. There's so many great surfers from the past, present, and you know, future. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's pretty sick to see. But let's go back to you. Okay. Growing up in Jersey, right? How, yeah, Jersey. how old were you when you, like who introduced you to surfing? How old were you? Well, well shit, like when you, when you grow up where I did in, in South Jersey, your your summers are for the most part you know if you live anywhere near the beach i i grew up in a in a small little town uh between atlantic city and ocean city new jersey and it was called northfield and a little hop skip and a jump to margate so you know you're pretty much memorial day to labor day when you're at grom you're at the beach and you're you know you're riding whatever you can grab or whatever's going on so you know the usual thing i don't know 10 11 whatever um 
my dad got me a I remember a used surfboard for my birthday. I think I was in I don't forget what grade, I don't know. And uh it was a bunger, I'll never forget. It was a bunger surfboard, Charlie Bunger from New York. It was like a six two diamond tail and I'll never forget like first day I got it, went to the beach and and stood up and went down the line and I was like, Fuck, this is killer. And but you, had you surfed? Before? Never surfed before. But you were beach going. Yeah, we used to just we used to we used to screw around. Back then there was it was I don't even think there was boogie. There were like these weird kind of styrofoam, styrofoam yeah. blue things you'd stand yeah. up and ride on. They put some fins in. Cooler lids. Yeah, yeah. We would screw <laughs> around with those, and and you could kind of see, you know, mid seventies, the older hippie dudes, and you're like, whoa, those dudes are so cool and gnarly. Yeah. And, beaver tails and long hair and all these chicks so you're just kind of like on the side but i got that board and then i was like i was like i was first day I you was were tiny i was surfing i'm like all right i'm out here i'm doing this hell yeah and then first day though you were standing well, first up, day you know like, stood up rode down the line and was like and you're like, reggie right regular foot did you yeah. skateboard at all or how um, like yeah, that kind we of used to skate we had a couple skate parks um back then so and everyone had ramps and shit so it was kind of like same time surfing skating uh you know and, and but it was kind of like a summer thing i remember my first first year or two i was like oh yeah this is cool this is cool and then i remember um i think i was in eighth grade and then i i met met some some dudes that i think the first contest i was in and and uh, one of my best friends now tom matthews and these guys were like oh yeah you got to get a uh an animal skin, and the Neil animal skin. It's a five four, and you gotta get the booty. All the was that the, the th like thousand dollar suit? Uh, no, it wasn't. No. That was back what then. was that no, one? No, they had? That might have been a dry suit or something. Remember the one we had? Yeah, all the Gerlach was wearing. No, no, this was way before. Was way that. Back, these yeah. are these are just like five oh. four, you know, neck up to here, and you got all the gear, and uh, and so I was like, oh, this is great. And then next thing I know, I was like eighth grade freshman year, and you just get rides with all the older guys and take you certain we're surfing all winter long and there's nobody out and you're w walking out on the jetties and next thing you know you're surfing big northeasters in the middle of winter and you're like Fuck, this is great yeah you know what so, was your go-to beach like, so our, our go-to beach in the in the winter was always uh back then it was ocean city there's a jetty 7th street in the winter the left you know you could do it Northeaster, the storms you paddle out on the on the south side of the jetty and you know or jump off the jetty that's how we used to get out in the winter you jump off the jetty so yeah, that was all, duck diving. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ice cream headaches you know you, you didn't want that so we would that was kind of our go-to and then you know spring and fall we kind of would start surfing Atlantic City there wasn't as many jetties it was a little more exposed so that was kind of our scene back then those two areas earlier you were talking about how what you the rituals you would have to do though for winter surfing right oh. so but in the beginning though you uh when you first started it was just a summertime kind of activity yeah for the for the first you know the first year or two it was yeah. summer but then you figure out real quick like wait guys are doing this year round yeah you know and then yeah. you're at the surf shop because the surf shops back then that's where you got all your information yeah so you hung out at the surf shop what was your shop um, back then, there was there's pretty much when I first started, there was a little surf shop in, in Margate called Reef Surf Shop, and I remember the first couple summers I went in there and it was like incest and super groovy hippie 
stuff everywhere and you just it's a headshot. You get that smell. You're like, oh, yeah. I don't know if it was weed or if it was yeah. the wax, whatever. You're like, wow, yeah. this is great, you know? And then I think they kind of like reef. I think they went out of business, the business or something. The front reefer. <laughs> and, then, and then in Ocean City, there was um, Surfer Supplies, door. which was like the, you know, they had... Surfer Supplies. Surfer Supplies, yeah. yeah. And there's this guy, his, nick, his nickname was Dude. You know, the dude, Bob McLaughlin, and he was a great surfer. And and you'd go in there, and George Gerlach would be like, hey, you know, we're getting these ports from California, and these are the wetsuits. And they had this shit called, before one of your sponsors, maybe they're, I hope they're still your sponsor, Foo Wax. They still sponsor? Yeah. Foo Wax, yeah. Foo Wax, yeah. But yeah. back then in the 70s, they had this shit called Tack Wax. And this <laughs> stuff, dude, if you didn't take it off in the summer, it would rip your skin off. If you were oh. had, if you were doing rip your hair off, you'd be rashed out for the summer. So there, you, you had all this tack shit. wax, tack wax, animal skins. You get the right boards, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey man, this isn't, this is a year round thing. Yeah, you know. And then and then all of a sudden you find out, oh well, yeah, a bunch of dudes are going to Puerto Rico this winter, you know. And like, oh, it's in in January and February the water it's boardies and you're like oh fuck I'm going to Puerto fuck. Rico yeah you know yeah. as Juan Ash would say the uh, Hawaii the east coast so definitely but you, you pick up that stuff when you're 10 11 and 12 real quick you know yeah. and if and then you're doing it year round and you get exposed and the next thing you know before you know it you're going up to Long Beach Island and then you're going to Manasquan and then you're up you know next thing you know you're up at like um, Point Judith, and you're meeting the rug, you're meeting Sid Bruzy and the Water Bros crowd, or you're up wow. in New Hampshire meeting uh, Kevin Grondin, the, the the guys up there at um, the Wall, and Mikey's at. So you're meeting all these dudes, and you're like, "Holy shit, man! There's there's this this whole this East Coast. There's this, there's there's a lot of good waves." Yeah. You know? When you're young, going even just not that adventure. far, it's like a whole yeah, a whole another experience. Yeah, a whole yeah. another like feeling. Now, were you experiencing like localism when you were going to these different places? Oh yeah, or? man, and and that's that's the thing. Like, you know, back back then, like, no joke, like walking across the boardwalk in Atlantic City. See, I mean, especially you, you could get your ass kicked by you could get mugged by the 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 the, Vagrant, the, like. the people who were hanging out there and might not necessarily be surfers, but back then as as well, you know, there's a there's a hierarchy and you had to kind of like, you know, you had to respect. Was it the dudes from Warriors? <laughs> no, but you you get getting punched in the head or getting like it yeah. was like just like. <clears throat> Dickheads that were hanging out. Well, you on the, you on would the you would like so my kind of thing back then was always just like, well, look, if these guys aren't surfers, like, we'll just you know we'll, we'll fight them until we get to the surf, and then once we get to the surf, you know, then then we'll, you know hopefully not get in any fights, but you know when you're 16 and 17 and you're kind of small, you you kind of start toughening up yeah pretty quick and then i mean then when i was like 19 or 20 i you know started doing boxing i did boxing for like five years so then it was like once you get some boxing skills under your belt and you get yeah. a little bit better then you're you're actually um you're super mellow in the water because yeah. you're like yeah you know you got confidence yeah you have confidence well, that, you're that like, in the, in, in the you know, people already know you've scrapped. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, you know, we used to that guy. We used to pick on him, and now he kind of kicked a couple of asses. Yeah, <laughs> Birdman knows how to 
throw those hands. Yeah. Any, any like your parents were beach goers or your family or um, you my dad. My dad was um, he was a big water skier. He never surfed. Um, nobody in my family uh, really really surfed at all. It was just uh, my peers, you know, yeah. and a lot of my a lot of my friends. You know, we had a little a cool little rat pack of guys in like eighth grade and then we all high school and. It was back when I went to high school of 79, it was my freshman year, and like in 80, all of a sudden, um, we heard like there's NSSA, and like you can have a surf club and a surf team, and we were like, I mean, for school, we were like looking at the flag, and we'd see the wind go offshore at 11 o'clock. We were like, well, there's three surf more pass. hours, screw that, we're out of here, we're yeah. going surfing. And then we kind of learned, oh, well, you know, they're going to start a surf club and a surf team, so that was kind of a... A cool, a cool new thing, and we had a, a, a good crew doing all that, which was which was fun. And so NSSA was already starting to percolate out there. Yeah, it was it was amazing how um, how early it, it kind of made its way to the East Coast. There's a a guy who's um, I think he, he was uh, his name was Chuck Allison, and he was a teacher at one of the high schools and. I don't know. He kind of him, another guy, John Forkin. These guys kind of like brought brought this thing back, and with you know Chuck Allen back in the day, and some of those guys. And all of a sudden, it was like I remember a whole crew of us in the early '80s were like, you know, went out to California for the Nationals, and I was wow. like, I was like, I was like, oh wow, this is this is cool. Like, you know, there's there's contests that are kind of part of a school, you yeah. know. And then we were doing all the other ESA contest, but ESA was kind of like if you qualified, you could go to the USA Championships, which could have been anywhere. Sometimes they're in Hatteras or yeah. Ventura, yeah, wherever okay. you yeah. go to. But it was kind of cool. Like every summer, you go, oh, we're going to go to Huntington and go surfing the Nationals, you yeah. know, which was always. I like, mean, what a great concept! Like shit. the National Scholastic Surfing Association is to say on like having to have a, you know, hold the athletes accountable for for school and, and then yeah giving them you know i mean college money and yeah. you know like if you stuck with it and you're a good person and you have yeah. good grades it's, it's kind of cool it's not so, too many other sports that do that so how old were you when you started doing the contest um shit, i don't know maybe 15 or 16 and, yeah you know it was it was super competitive you know we had our we had our crew of guys in south jersey a lot of good guys and it was kind of like districts you had like South Jersey, you had some dudes maybe down in Cape May, you had Long Beach Island, and you had Central Jersey and North Jersey. So even in Jersey, there was like, yeah, there was like, there was like, there was crews, and everyone was like, everyone was pretty fucking gnarly, yeah, competition wise, yeah. And I was like, wow, man, these guys are, you know, and and then afterwards, everyone would be friends, which was which was cool, but it was a it was a pretty a pretty competitive vibe from what I remember at an, at an early age which yeah. was which was kind of cool that's a trip because yeah. it's it, it reminds you what was going on here oh for right? sure from on the west from coast. seal beach to, to the you know bolsa chica crew to the you know cliffs pier river yeah. jays 54 yeah. you know like ventura santa Barbara, but just within 10 miles yeah. of how more dense the west coast was but and like i was just on the east coast yeah and and as he said all those places cape may yeah you know, Long Beach Island, and, and like, it's it's crazy because they're pretty far apart. You know, they're yeah. like a well, good 
you know, yeah, like far, it's all real. So they might be 20 miles, 30 minutes, yeah. 40 minutes. Yeah, but they're the hot spot of that area. Yeah. yeah. And and there was always, it, it always seemed like, which was cool, there was always like a little bit older, like Long Beach Island, there's uh, uh, a guy, Skip Miller, he was shaping boards, he was a little, little older, and then there was a, a bunch of crew who were younger, like Mike Morton and Justin um, sit in. You have all these guys, so we would, we would just go up and surf with those guys. And when we we're surfing, we would just be like, there'd always be that little bit of competitive thing, but everyone would afterward would be kind of respectful and yeah. fun. Well, and we, we talk about that a lot. If if you have respect, but you also rip, like kind of the, the barriers kind of get yeah, you, know, you, you get down. down. Yeah, you know, like yeah, it kind of goes hand they, in hand. They, they welcome you. A yeah, little, if you are cool and yeah. you rip, they're like they welcome you. Yeah, for sure. Because you know they know you're coming from somewhere else, and you're like, oh, wow, this guy's you know cool, but he fucking rips, and yeah. like you know it definitely helps. Yeah, it was it not was... like when Lennon shows up. <laughs> <laughs> so you know? did you uh, like you're doing the contests? Did did you do other sports or? Um, I you know it was just the this kind of reminds me of my my son Max, who's a you know a rising pro surfer. He's you know, just 21 now, and you know, until I was about 11 or 11 or 12, it was just like you know, all every sport. I, I was a huge Philadelphia fan. I still am. So it was like, you know, Phillies, Eagles, Sixers, Flyers. I was so into sports, so into yeah. sports, and then started dabbling and surfing, and and then. And I played sports year-round, whatever it was. But I was always a little bit smaller. I didn't grow till I was like, you know, went from like five foot to six foot by the end of, you know. Lennon's still waiting for yeah. the first. <laughs> the How dare you? Hey, you know what? He sets him up. I knock him down, bro. That was but, too easy. <laughs> but you know, I, I, um, I just. I just like, but that to, was normal that well, era. I, you, you know, know like doing I was all passionate that. about all the sports, yeah. and I watched them. So it was like, you know. And then once I got kind of introduced to surfing and found out, like, whoa, that drug, that yeah. drug of surfing, yeah, and, <laughs> and you get, you just get, like, I mean, I, I didn't care about, you know, what was, you know, there was, you know, girls and fun, and I, I didn't even like, I don't even think I had a girlfriend till I was like in college ever. I was like, just want to go surfing. Surfing's There's, a hell of a drug. It is. It's a, it's a hell of a drug, drug ever. It, it, you know, and it's. It's a healthy addiction for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're, you're ditching school groms. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. But you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's definitely, you're kind of, you know, subject obviously to the weather and the waves and stuff. And when yeah. it's on, like, it doesn't matter oh. if it's grandma's birthday, freaking this yeah. or that, or test. Can I go surfing before that? Or should I go surfing oh. after that? Well, you end up just before, during, after, everything there be, takes. There'd be swells on. backseat. Surfing Christmas. becomes priority. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's a holiday. Yeah, Christmas. You know, yeah. back then too, it was before. You know, back then for me, before Surfline or Wave Track or anything. Yeah. You, you were just watching the the weather maps and seeing what was <laughs> going on. We had that little weather marine radio listening to, and you could just tell. You'd be like, okay, yeah. boom, the the wind's going offshore at this time. Waves are going to be this size. Like, we're not doing anything for the next twenty four hours. I want to go back to uh, like you know, summer surfing versus winter surfing. Like, yeah. I, I don't think these groms on the West Coast and other places realize the 
fucking dedication that you get because wetsuits are insane now. Yeah. But back then, what did you you start so, to do? So back then, the the wetsuits were the quality wasn't near as good. They oh, weren't oh. nearly as flexible. Yeah. There was there, there wasn't was glued like, and blind stitch. No, there was <laughs> tape, dude. Like rashes, like yeah. you could get rashes. Like Frankenstein. I mean, back then, you. I mean, the turtle. You didn't go anywhere without an XL jar of Vaseline, yeah. and that was for surfing purposes. Yeah, you know, sure it was. Multi-purposes back then. And it was yeah, full turtleneck. Oh. I remember putting the the grocery like plastic bag just to get the foot through the bottom. Yeah, well, you know? he said he wore socks. So, so here's some here's some back then. You wore some, socks in your booties. There's there's tricks of the trade that you would do, right? So one of the things you you would do, and and you know there's certain seasons where. So I remember in in the fall, like when before it was even booties weather, you would you know you it might be really cold out, whatever. You'd have so, I'd have socks and shoes on and a beanie on. And I might even have like a parka on underneath my jersey and you'd be like Batman down at the water's edge. And then all of a sudden you'd like, I would take my shoes and socks off and thing off and beanie and I'd paddle out. And then you'd come back in and your feet would back practically be frozen, you know, but for those 15 or 20 minutes, you're like, I got this. And then as it got progressively colder, you'd have to change your strategy up and you'd be like, okay, well, you always had to have a car heater that worked. A big car, preferably, because you'd be in there, you know, and trying to change and you'd move, be and changing and in your car, and you, you know, you kind of had your heat going. My Volkswagen Squareback would oh, not hold heat. Or nah, you had to have a big <laughs> engine that helped, you know. Like I used to have an Oldsmobile, this big engine, so the heat was insane. But what you, when it got really cold, you'd have to uni up at your house. So, yeah. so this is before you even walk. So. You're waxing your board with your tap. You're getting your all your shit ready. You got everything ready. The only thing you might not do is maybe put your your well. Gloves. It's not even gloves. Back then they were like they were like claws, like lobster claws. Yeah. So you'd have like there's there was either four fingers and a thumb, Ooh. which was a mitt, or you could go with a claw, which was three fingers, an index finger, and a thumb. So it was either claw or a mitt. There was none of those little could think it was a full like what you would see a Diver. formula one race car driver wear yeah. like a fire suit you barely your nose and eyes would stick out yeah. that was it and you'd, you'd have one of those oh. now were those hoods attached to the suits back then? no the hoods there's the hoods weren't attached to suits yeah. so so there's so, leakage from the neck to the fucking you'd have yeah. the neck the hood down to your neck the suit up to your neck trying to make sure there's least amount of water that got in you'd have your your mitts or your gloves on your socks underneath your booties some lycra if when they started making lycra that was like layers so you'd layer up and then you would vaseline your, your face. face to just keep the water and the, and the yeah. and the and everything off of you Gosh. and then one of the things my buddy and i would do Don't we kind of like we, we used to get, like, our wetsuit sponsors would be like, what the fuck are you guys doing to these suits? We're like, I don't know, the rubber must be bad or something. We would surf for three hours, whatever. We'd be freezing, couldn't feel our hands, trying to get your car door open. You'd be like, with the key, it was before the remote oh, keys. Shit. You'd have to go like that. I can't get imagine. It open, get it in, warm up, and then we would drive 
straight to the laundromat. We'd go to the laundromat, take off all our shit in the laundromat. People were looking at us like, who are these weirdos? Put it in the dryer and dry all of our gear. So now you imagine these suits back in the 80s in a dryer, Just like full heat, crumbling, cooking them. <laughs> we'd leave them in the dryer. We'd go get a few sandwiches, whatever. We'd come back. We would put all our shit on in the laundromat, get in the car. And I remember we'd be walking down the beach, my buddy and I, and peep and steam would be coming off our head. We would just be steaming. Yeah. And you know, for like fifteen or twenty minutes, it would be pretty good. But that's the kind of that's the kind of shit dedication would, and yeah, fucking you would do yeah. trials and tribulations. You know, it's like of it's like you know when I started snowboarding, I I kind of got the you know guys in the mountains doing the same thing. It's like look, they're they're gonna get a powder day, and and but their gear, you know, they'll have all this layers and yeah. gear and they're ready for it i read an article way back in the day about like new england new e- or east coast surfers and you know kind of describe what you just told us and a lot of them would smoke cigarettes just to oh, stay dude. warm yeah it's <laughs> like it's they weird. would just smoke you be, can, just be like fire warm see crazy shit going on dudes yeah. drinking whiskey smoking cigarettes drinking a couple beers it was like Whatever you needed to do yeah. to just get you that, you know, that psych up, you know, like some freaking rock and roll, anything. Yeah. You'd just be like pump Fire rock. You up. You'd be like, yeah, we so, got it. So who were your, when did you first get sponsored and who was it? So I first was, um, first two sponsors were kind of at the same time was um, Stuart Surfboards, Bill Stuart from San Clemente. Oh, wow. And that was just an interesting time period because I... Came out to California, met met some some dudes out here, and um, one of the guys from from back there who was kind of um, helped us all get into the NSSA, um, hooked us up with with Bill Stewart, and Bill was like fucking all time. I mean, dudes was from Florida. Back then, he had a ripping killer team, Mike Parsons and Chris Baltmaro and Bessions and like there was like Stewart's from Florida? He's from Florida, yeah. And and so he had he had this really killer um he's like St. Clemente like oh he was staple in the eighties like he had such a a good team of guys and um he had um Pat Allen who was Chuck Allen's son and and so through all that stuff and coming out here when I was sixteen or seventeen I got hooked up with Stuart. We used to sleep in his garage. We'd go surf, you know, go go surf uppers and lowers. I, I won the first summer I, I spent out in San Clemente. Um, I was living with Dean Randazzo, Rick Forge. We had this little garage we were living in, and um, I would, was working at Brad Basham's, making cutting my fingers on the bandsaw, making fins at night. And we we had this rad crew. Bill Stewart would have everyone down at T Street. We'd have barbecues, and then we'd go surf lowers. And so wait, this is your your sixteen. Years I was old? like seventeen, yeah. eighteen at that time, and and I was like, man, fucking, this is a whole nother world that I well, love. Summertime West Coast, especially there, oh, in the lowers is like Saint Clemente lowers. Are you uh, fucking kidding? Yeah, me? I mean, yeah. between between like you're like I'm coming I mean, back here, obviously. Jersey's killer. In the winter, for the most part, and you're wearing all that shit, yeah. and then you come out here in the summertime, yeah. and you're, it's tropical, probably. Oh, yeah. Border. And you're 
Like, and the waves are fucking fire. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was an awesome time. And there was there was back then in the you know early mid eighties there was there was so much energy out in California, and it was like we you know feed off. It was the, kind of the birth yeah. of like that whole new yeah like, competitive apparel. scene. Well, just competitive, but the apparel yeah. you know it was just yeah. kind of handled by a couple brands. Wasn't really doing it. most of the shirt shops were just. Board shops and, yeah. and now it, it was really evolving like yeah I mean rapidly. back then magazines were the oh, the Bible I mean the Bible. flame flame you know literally between you know lowers and T Street Salt, and Salt Creek. Creek and flame and surfing and then the surfer guys and you know I I was really lucky to to meet Pat Allen and stayed with him for a couple summers out in California and how did you guys meet just so his his dad was one of the founders of the NSSA and so somehow um just you know through hey NSSA this guy's coming out yeah next thing I I know I was um Pat Pat's dad he was like house sitting a house in Laguna one summer and I was like oh man this is pretty cool so I was staying with Pat and Pat would be like yeah we're we're uh, gonna go surf creek, and I'd be like, "Okay, awesome." So we go surf creek, and and back then it was like, it was it was gnarly. Like Laird Hamilton would be windsurfing down the point. Be like, oh <laughs> shit, who's this guy? Oh, watch out for him, Joey Brand, and these guys, and they were it was a pretty gnarly crew in the parking lot. And I was like, "Well, this is heavy," and like some of some of the guys now I know in the industry, they yeah. were kind of like. They Kirk were, Shank they were ripping heads off. Kirk yeah. Shank, you know, like and some of the guys who were kind of like the the local guys. Now, even then, they were like, whew, they were like scared of those guys. And I would just come down like, hey, I'm we all P- have I'm those guys. PA yeah. today, hey boys, whatever. And then and then he'd be like, you know, we'd surf down there all morning, and they'd be like, hey, um, we're gonna go to uppers, you know, even was kind of lowers was up, but we go to uppers and we hang out at uppers all day. And I was like, fuck, this is. This is too good. Yeah. But that was kind of like my introduction to the West Coast. Is like a After combination. That, you're like, yeah. I'm coming back. Yeah. How back lucky back. is that, like, experience, you know? Uh, I mean, because, you know, surfing is such a a unique activity of, of like, it. it's not only just super fun, but it's also, like, it's spiritual, right? Oh, it's like it a makes you so fucking you know? happy. Yeah, and the culture and the vibe and all that, that and the networking and, and yeah, the, and the and the barriers that and we talked about this in other episodes is like when you're young, your group of friends is maybe I mean your grade, but maybe a, a grade or below, and then other than that, you're like there's a whole other world yeah. of people. Yeah, and then surfing, you would see those every age group. Yeah, you know, to break down that kind of age barriers when you're young. But he went from like the freezer <laughs> to the fire. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. You, that, what, what's really amazing that you're, you're so lucky you got to experience that. You know. Yeah. The the West Coast thing. Summertime West Coast. Ultimately, it changed your life. Well, but and, you and then it was it was straight. You know, I remember. I don't know. It was, I was. Six, seventeen, or something. There, you know, made a couple heats or something. I thought I was like, God, I suck, you know. And I got like, I don't know, quarterfinals or something. And I was like, God, I, I'm. Just, and I was, and next day I was, I made the national team. And Dean Randazzo was on the national team. 
know, they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to Hawaii for, you know, there's, that's where I met Wooly and Jeff Booth and Farms, all these guys I've been friends with and surfing with and involved with in the industry for for years. And, and yeah, next, next thing I know, a couple months later, I think it was, was your Joey Brand won the Pipe Masters. And oh, wow. Like, ne- you know, next thing I know, it's like eight to ten foot sunset. And we're all out there. I remember like asking Ian Karen's so I was like, so Ian, any advice? He's like, yeah, don't stub your toe on the beach. Okay, really? Don't what? Stub Don't your stub your toe on any of the rocks paddling out. Like he was like, "Fuck, it's eight to ten foot. Get out there. Yeah. What am I going to tell you? You know?" Yeah. So that I was kind of like, that's why I met Ian and PT, and I was like, his like, his eyes were lit up. Oh like, yeah, this is and, the best. and those guys were like, I mean, just meeting those guys back then and knowing who they were, and and you know. You, you would listen to the, the stuff they said, and it was all stuff that's still relative today. Oh, for you know? sure. It was like super relative. And that's when they today. were first kind of. Oh yeah, it was like '84, '85. They well, were like they were like starting to help the amateurs. Yeah, before Ian kind of was on the ASP, yeah. and they were still literally the national team coaches. They were yeah. like that's who they were. Yeah. You know, before Janice and Gaylene, they were yeah. kind of like. Yeah, the, the the guys, you yeah. know. And so Chuck Chuck started it, and those guys came in yeah, and kind of yeah. like take it over, help foster it yeah. along. But going back to when you were living in um, Jersey, no, no, no uh, Saint Clemente. Yeah. So you 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 were living. In I'd a come out every summer. I would come out from probably sixteen or seventeen every summer and and spend spend the summer out, and sometimes. Yeah, we'd be, I, first couple, I was in Laguna with Pat Allen, and then we were in San Clemente, you just know, and Garage. couch surfing. Yeah. yeah, just couch surfing. We're, we're, Dude, we're, how we'd... psyched are you when you're fucking, <laughs> doesn't matter. from the East Coast, and you're like coming off winter? I'll sleep in the backyard, dude. It doesn't matter. I mean, think about that, being a Grom going, fuck, man, I can't wait till summertime, I'm going to fucking, you know, surf every day. I'm gonna... Oh, it was great, dude. We'd, you'd go, and, and back then, it was like, you know. Dino and and Matt Archibald and, and like Snips. guys from Snips. Yeah. You had all these guys. You know, Snips was a little, little like my age, but you had these younger guys. Oh, these younger guys coming up, and there was it was just like it was super like like rad. And like he'd go down to the San Clemente Pier, like which I didn't really like surfing at the pier. But I remember sometimes we we'd be we we're living at 204 one year and we'd be walking from 204 down the pier we'd pull up the pier and you'd see pots out we'd be like holy shit pots is out there yeah you know? I like this pot now that was uh, yeah. I, this way is pretty that, good that that you'd see Christian out yeah. like there's just such rad shit going the area, on the, the era you're talking about yeah. like holy shit that was when surfing was like starting to explode because yeah. you're talking Potter's 16 years old right yeah I mean he was when, he, he, I remember when, like, I think my first summer I was 17, I think he was the same age, and he was staying with Jimmy Hogan, yeah. and he was like, you know, I still, it's, what's insane is surfing now, like, it lowers with Hogan and high-fiving and laughing, and, and dude, he, I go, dude, you're still doing the same thing Super you were doing in 1983 like yeah. it hasn't changed and he's still yeah. freaking loving it you know which is amazing it's amazing. amazing yeah um i was gonna ask you so 
Okay, we were talking about your sponsors. Yeah. Bill Stewart. <laughs> I think I too, I, I'd rip, I, and back then I was like, you know, what do you need? You need a, a, a board yeah. and a wetsuit. So that was my two, two sponsors. And I think my first apparel sponsor was Beachtown. Which was Beach like, town. you know, that, that was San Clemente, it's like a stamp. Paul Glane, <laughs> it was like San Clemente, we had the New Jersey connections and the, the, the Bessians were sponsored by him. And one of my great friends who I, who I became friends with over the years was uh, was Mike Bessian, um, Shane and Gavin's dad. And, yeah. and, um, and he's an East Coaster. He he's grew up East. like, a, you know, same city, like right where I grew up. North you know, Rapids. Right there, he grew up in Ventnor. Um, we just good friends with Mark Neister, Margate. So, yeah, like, so, you know, back then through Stuart and Beach Town and all that stuff. And so I knew knew who Mike was and the guy was like a blue collar construction guy. And you know, I was like, yeah, so I met, you know, guy, guys like him. And then, you know, not to skip and jump, but that was like, you know, mid eighties. And then I remember like in, in 2000 when I was starting electric, I remember he's like, Hey man, he's like, I got this Tavarua trip. You want to come on the trip? I was like, fuck yeah. And I was like, you know, so these, these friends that you had years roots, ago and then the, you know, the eighties and the nineties, yeah. it all just kind of evolved. Yeah. You know? well, that's and, what we love about the industry is like, there's, you know, call it the web of life, web of surfing, you know, like you connect with people back in the day you go your own way, you, you know, you're, you're, you're focused on yeah. what your deal is and, and you come full circle and, yeah. and, and meet up with these guys later. So, summers in, in San Clemente, yeah. surfing, winters uh, in New Jersey, winters in New Jersey. And, uh, and you know, then, and you you're know, meeting everybody, yeah, you're the meeting who's who. Every, so, so then I remember, um, um, I don't, I don't know what happened to beach town, but I remember, so right when after that, I, when I got on the national team, the uh, NSSA, or the Quicksilver was a sponsor of the NSSA. And that's when I met uh, Danny Kwok and Paul Gomez. Wow. It, it was like, there was like 10 guys at Quicksilver back then. It was like 80, well, I don't know, 85 or something, 84 or 85. And um, so I remember getting all this, all this Quicksilver gear and all this stuff. And then I remember Danny would like, send me like I'd get a like couple VHSs I'd get all this stuff and I don't know what their connection was with Prolite but I remember getting board bags yeah. and I was like this is the best thing ever kind of like were you writing for him or yeah so I started of... so NSSA was sponsored by him and that's how I met him and then I started writing for him and then and then so for you know like a four year period I wrote for uh, Quicksilver and Rip Curl and I was writing for Stuart and it was like Dude, I got great, and, and back then, I, you know, I had great boards, great wetsuits, great clothes, and, and like... You were the shit. Uh, I was just like, <laughs> I was just like... You were, you were the golden well, boy in I Jersey. Was, you know, I was stoked to, to um, even, like, have access to those guys and yeah. talk to those guys was there, and hear about Was there other the kids, other... Your, your friends from Jersey that were also coming out with you or were you yeah, kind of like yeah we had so like there was a little crew come out Dean Rand Dazzo would come out um, pretty much every summer he kind of gravitated a little more towards uh, North, uh, North County San Diego um, there was a couple other Groms who who would who would who would come out um, 
one of my best friends, Tom Matthews, would, would come out. So we had a, a crew that would come out. But for me, like, I remember when I was, like, I graduated from high school. I was like, all right, I'll go to school, stay in the NSSA back here. But I was like, I'm going to move. I'm going to move to California. And I was like, all right. So I kept, did the NSSA for another year or two. And then I was like, I was like, okay, still had the sponsors, finished school. And then. Were you a good student? I was average, you know, I was average and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really give a shit in high school and did terrible. Just got by to stay on the surf team. And then. Fucking surfing. (laughs) When I went to, to, uh, I graduated with a degree in business and I actually paid for it. Took out, I took out, I took out like three student loans when I was in college and it was funny. Like my tuition was like really inexpensive because I went to a community college and then I went to a, it's now a university, but I remember like, okay, how much can I get? And they were like, we could get like five grand. And I was like, tuition, isn't our tuition at books like 1500? They're like, yeah, you can get five grand. I was like, Sweet, that's South Africa, that's Puerto Rico and Hawaii. Yeah. So I, I, that's I, debt. I did that, and it was funny, man. I remember, but, gra- I remember graduating, and I had like my student loans were like ten grand, and I was like, that is rad. And I was like, oh, I got a college education, and I was like, I got ten grand in, in student loans, and back, back. You know, but I traveled the world. Well, come and travel the world, but coming from New Jersey, I was like, fuck, I'm gonna pay, I pay those things off right away. So yeah. I graduated college and. Actually moved to St. Thomas in the Caribbean, and I worked down there for like a year. What? Yeah, I was. I. What I, was the reasoning I, behind that? So my reason it was funny. My my buddy, um, he's like, I mean, he he was like, hey man, I'm gonna go down to St. Thomas. I think I'm gonna work down there. There's a killer French restaurant I can get a job at, and Tortola, which was on our favorite waves, King Garden Bay, and he's like, there's some good waves in in the Virgin Islands in in St. Thomas, and I was like. Okay. But you're and catering he, to bougie and there's yeah, good and money so to be made. He called me up and he's like, hey, dude, you can get a job here at this French gourmet restaurant. And like, dude, we're making like serious dough and there's good waves. And I was like, fuck, I'm down there. So straight with a college degree. As you should as, as a young With a college kid. degree, I go to St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands to become a, a, a waiter in a French restaurant. Like a five-star restaurant with a tux. <laughs> Serving all these wines, these crazy dudes, like making awesome hot, crazy dudes. Cruise ships would come in. It was full rock stuff. It was like it was. You're forgetting to put that out there. Well, this was that was probably this was like Studio Fifty Four right shit in the late '80s. But in St. Thomas, and here I am, a surfer. So I paid off. I I paid off my college loans. I was. I, back then, I didn't even care. I don't even. I don't, I don't think I had any sponsors. I was like, "Who cares, dude?" Yeah. I got surfboards. I'm making tons of money. Okay, can we can we stop right here? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So you're you're out of high school. You start going to college, but did you want to become a pro surfer? I super badly wanted to become a pro surfer. Yeah, you did. Come but on. When I graduated um, high school, high school, in, in I graduated. Um, high school in 83 and back then there was like it was kind of a little bit before the PSAA started and it pro surfing wasn't like I mean I 
talk to Jim, it wasn't what it what it was like later in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. timing is everything. It and wasn't, and it wasn't, it wasn't the, you know, to make a living as a pro surfer. There, there wasn't really much of a living there. Right. You know, in the yeah. in the early eighties, so I was like, well, shit, I need to go to school. And the industry was pretty. The industry was like nothing. nothing. And then when I graduated from college in eighty seven, I remember I came out to California and. I was sponsored by Quicksilver. I remember talking to McKnight and Quack and all these. And they're like 87, 88. They were like, it was, the industry was kind of like, was almost on a downturn late 80s. And um, I didn't want to start in the warehouse back then. And I was like, I didn't want to like pack boxes. And that's how I, I kind of started a little bit later. But I was like, oh, screw this, man. I, I need to make some money. Yeah. You know, I was like, I, I got to make, I got to make some money. And I think, there's a way to make money and still keep surfing yeah. and not be working in a warehouse all yeah. day, you know, with a college well, education. I mean, your friend that went to <laughs> yeah, St. Right. Thomas, I mean, what a perfect <laughs> scenario. Well, again, it's the, funny because like surfing a network, the network, uh, the, that network, but also like the, the, the plan the, uh, you know what I mean? Like your, your <laughs> aspiration of like, being a pro surfer but that's not happening but you're college educated and you graduate college and you're like oh okay what do i do now like what's my next profession and then this guy calls you up and says fucking come down here dude yeah i think you make good money i think that one year it was probably 88 i i went they had a psaa in puerto rico at hobos and they had one in barbados at Supol. it was like eight to ten foot and at that time we were like Barbados and Puerto Rico were two kind of like go-tos. Go go yeah. And we were going to Barbados often and Puerto Rico often and being situated in the Caribbean for a year, I was, it was like the perfect kind of little home base yeah. setup. Yeah, work and surf. Yeah, work and surf. That's, yeah. that's what I did. And then, you know, and then finally, you know, fast forward, a, you know, another year or two of doing those 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 kind of jobs in New Jersey in the summer making money so I could travel in the winter and doing stuff. Um, I think it was about it was ninety. Um, I guess it was yeah it was January night. So I remember it distinctly. It was Thanksgiving weekend and I remember going surfing one day. I had all my gear on and I was like it was waves like three or four foot. But there was like three two or three feet is two feet of snow on the beach like oh. up to thigh high and i was like oh man the wind was offshore i'm like i got this i remember walking across my snowboard yeah walking across the beach and by the time i got to the water my toes were numb and my feet were numb my hands were numb and by then you know i was like 23 or so and it was like i've been doing it now for about eight years almost 10 years Back of surfing those winters yeah. and doing all that stuff and I remember I, I, I surfed and I couldn't feel my feet I was like and I remember I remember walking out of the water getting my car and I go F this dude I'm I'm going to California I'm loading up my Subaru all my which shit which is probably I'm, bittersweet I'm but exciting at the same I had time. to make that move yeah. I had to get out of New Jersey I didn't want to just become nothing against the blue collar the carpenters and the guys who wait tables you have bigger stuff. ambitions and, but I'm like I gotta move to California and try well, you, to do you, something you've different you tasted the forbidden fruit of living in paradise yeah. for surfers yeah but so we before that we that, that 
Is that what you did? Was like live Jersey, then live St. Thomas, live yeah. Jersey, St. Thomas. So, well, I lived Jersey, St. Thomas, and we'd go to Puerto Rico for a month, and I'd, we'd wait table, you know, we'd work all, all the, the year I lived in St. Thomas, we, I made good enough money to support all that stuff. And then for like the next two years, it was like wait tables all summer, more make as much cash as possible, and then travel yeah. Caribbean as much as you could in the yeah. in the winter, Hawaii, yeah. whatever, Hawaii I mean, or Caribbean. This is a cool thing that millennials and fucking like the younger generation doesn't know, like because like what we, not me, but a lot of us surfers, you know, you work all year and then boom. You know, you save your cash, Check out. Yeah. and then Surf you fucking out. go. We lived, you know, it went from, it went from... The travel, you're It nomad. went from contests and traveling to compete, meeting all these places, to actually like, okay, now I got to work, you know, I can't take any student loans to travel, I'm going to the NSSA, I graduate, now I got to actually work to travel and surf, yeah. to at one point, like, okay, I got to move to California and uh What did, and what did you get in. your degree in? Business administration. Yeah, so business administration and a lot of that stuff actually, it kind of came not easy to me, but like accounting and math and all that stuff was like, it kind of came real easy to me. So I was like, when I moved out here in 90, same kind of, then the the surf industry was really kind of like taking a shit. And I was like, I was like, I remember going around to some companies and they're like, companies were going out of business and, and it was like this surfing went from this huge kind of excitement when I used to come out here in the 80s to all of a sudden getting kind of dark and everyone was snow and yeah. skate and surfing wasn't the coolest thing and um, that's that's when I ran in and, and luckily through some people and some stuff I was doing ran into Greg Arnett he's like dude I'm starting a sunglass company are you interested and I was like wait so yeah. this is a big it was a big, it big, was, a, yeah, it was like a paradigm shift in my yeah, life. But, like, bef- but yeah, before we get into that, yeah. like you're coming out in, in your later teens and okay. through college. Yeah. Were your parents like supportive of like coming out here for the summer? Like, so did, at that like, stage. You know I, what I mean? That, at that, that's like at a very, that stage, they were like, they had been separated. My dad had a... Um, a success, really successful insurance agency. He was a yacht delivery captain, and he was like a rock star in his own right. You mm-hmm. know, he lo- he 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 was kind of like when I moved to Cal. When I was doing all this stuff, he, it was cool because I'd spend time with him. I'd go yeah. water skiing. I'd drive his boats, and you know, we would have fun times. And then when I you know, he was just like, hey, you know, what, what are you going to do? When yeah, are you going to yeah. get a real job? That's, you know? that's every parent's and, like, concern. And my mom was probably wondering, you know, the same thing. Like, are you going to, you know, my mom came out to watch me in some of the contests and we had some family out here. But I think they were probably both wondering, like, hey, yeah. wh- are you You're good, ever, but you're not that good. Are you ever going to get a real job? <laughs> you know, like this surfing thing's just kind of like, you know, what are you doing? Which is Which is hard to, as parents, to embrace because they don't, have that yeah they don't know the feeling yeah. they don't know you drop everything to surf you know and then but yeah. they want you to be able yeah. to support yourself and have a life and but I, I the coolest thing was with both my parents which was amazing i remember telling them hey i'm moving to california um i gotta go out there and, and figure it out and and I, I i love surfing and i got 
you know, I really love that San Clemente area and there's some places I, I love and if I, and, and they're both super supportive of that, yeah, which cool. was cool. So, so you're 23. Like, yeah, I was about, I was 23, 23 at that time. College and, education. And you wanted to move to California and figure out. Pack up all my shit, yeah. Figure out the career single. somewhere. And I was like, hey, I, I'll just, I got to find my way out in California that's that's got to be were you, were you thinking you're gonna maybe be a waiter at some fancy restaurant no, at that, at chart that, house bro love <laughs> <laughs> the charty that's not everybody's yeah. move no, was. at that at, at that point you know what I was really thinking was like survival right so kind of survival of this like hey I know I could go out there I could probably find a job that makes cash as a waiter or a bartender yeah. or do something and at least kind of replicate what I was doing in, in New Jersey and, and hopefully out there either meet or run into or, or yeah. I have all these yeah. people I had known at that point for, you know, I was coming up on 10 years of coming out here. So, um, you know, at that point when I moved out, I was just like, I didn't give a shit. I didn't have any game plan. I didn't have any thing, whether it was gonna be in the industry. I remember at one point thinking like, oh, I'm pretty close to UC Irvine. They have some MBA programs. Should I go back there? And I remember like reading through it and I was like, hell no. Like, why would I want to go back to school? Yeah. Like, so, uh, you know, the, I guess the answer to the question is I was, I was looking to try to keep doing what I was doing, but figure out a way to make it sustainable for for a long term, you yeah. know, and, and, and to like, you know, be able, the one thing I loved about out here, um, um, the two things that I loved about San Clemente was one, how close it was to Mexico. Yep. Fell in love with, you know, Baja, Baja and trips down to Ensenada and like, Cob like I was like I love that and the other thing was how, how close it was to Hawaii and I was like man it's it's close and those two places are great so I was like fuck I just gotta make this I just gotta make it work somehow yeah. you know hey as long as I'm here close yeah, enough to Mexico yeah. close enough to Hawaii well what was that what was the flight from like Jersey down to the Caribbean um oh shit dude we five hours no um yeah there wasn't anything. I'm just like, I'm think, just trying to picture it because yeah, I, I haven't flown that route. I think route, we would like, we would fly to like sometimes sometimes we might have even had direct flights on Eastern Airlines or some shit from like we might have been able to get some flights out of Philly to San Juan and, and back in the day, um, but it was minor. Did you could be paying two hundred bucks yeah. and you're down there? But that's like us hopping over to Hawaii in the winter. Yeah, you back know? in the so day, it was like, two hundred bucks. You know, for yeah. him coming from the East Coast, is like, well, yeah, it's super central. Like I got Mexico yeah, right there and I got Hawaii right there. Yeah. Two hundred bucks. So you're already accustomed yeah. to like yeah. so twenty three. Pack up all his shit. Drive your Subaru yeah. cross country. Yeah. Where did you go stay? What, you, what was your? So at that at that point, I um, wasn't sure where I was going to stay. Um, um, Chris Burke, who was my, one of my buddies on the national team, and uh, he had moved down from San Luis Obispo. Um, he was living with a family in San Clemente for a while, and we kept in touch. And he he was like, "Hey, man, I'm I, f I forget what I forget what he he might have been. It was crazy. I, I think he was actually working at Surf and Sand. Chris Morrow, like we had, all these pro surf guys, were like." It was like early 90s we're working at like laguna surf and sand as bellman and like 
making like, you know, 500 bucks a week and surfing all the time. Yeah. And uh, so we ended up getting a place together and then he got big a- Big B. Yeah, Big right? B. He okay. got a job. He got a job at OP managing the team. And um, for like a year, he was my roommate and um, I started doing like modeling shit for OP and OP Japan and going to Cabo and going to Hawaii and going to Japan and doing all, all this shit. Modeling? Yeah, like, like. How did how did that happen? Well, f- a bro doing a bro solo. No, now you're a good looking dude, and I'm sure you were so like dashingly handsome. Give us your blue steel. So, <laughs> so, so at that time when I moved out to California in '90, I was like, okay, um, I think I got a job at this surf and sand. Um, I was parking cars at the Red Onion. And R.O. Yeah, the Red Onion is rocking back <laughs> Dude. Holy shit, dude. It's crazy stories. Dude. But the, the Red Onion next to Woody's Wharf, that place was rolling back then. This is Newport? And Newport, yeah. yeah. And then um, I, got a, uh, I got an agency up in L.A. And I was like, met some people up there. And I was like, hey, man, I, I can... You know, I could do commercials. I could do whatever. And like, really? You have experience? I was like, no. And actually... Salesman over here. I I did some... So what happened was I had actually done some stuff for OP. And they were like, just as a roommate of a roommate. And Art Brewer shot shot some stuff. Yeah, I do catalog. Yeah, and that's how I met Art Brewer. It was like, Art Brewer is like, you know, shot some stuff. And it was killer. And then I met the OP Japan guys. And they would... You know, I'm internationally. No, we would stay at Turtle Bay, living like rock stars, and these guys are shooting me, at, you know, in a golf uniform, in a in a golfing attire, and then, you know, that's how I met Love Hodel. We we're like shooting some crazy shit, and I was okay. like, so I, I took some OP stuff up to LA. I got a, a killer agency. Um, that up, is so epic. Up how there. fucking awesome! And then I did. Um, <laughs> I got a Sunkiss commercial. And Shut the, the I got a Sunkiss commercial, which was which was crazy because there was like 700 people trying out for it. I had like five callbacks. I got it. It was like five girls and five girls. And of all places, it was in St. John, which was right next to St. Thomas. And I, I I actually made like yeah, you know, we were making like we were making like two grand a day for five or six days, staying in a five star place. All paid for. All paid Pretty for, and then food. the commercial came out. It was like running during the Super Bowl. Checks started coming in, and I was like, "Damn!" So I was like, I was, I kind of was still doing all these crazy jobs, and then, um, and then through OP and through Big B and kind of going to the North Shore, that's how I met Greg Arnett. And back then, OP, you actually had, I think Gary Elkerton rode for him, who got to be good friends with, and Snips rode for him, and Taylor Knox. I did some super, like, modeling shoots in Cabo with Taylor Knox, like, funny shit in Speedos. He still laughs about it to the day. But, T-bone. But those were some, those were some, some time, times that just actually really made this connection to guy who I knew worked at Oakley forever and he's like yeah I'm starting a sunglass company do you want to be a part of it and I was like hell yeah when do I start so Arnett is a a interesting person in our industry because he's a I mean 
we we've he, he's been brought up a couple times. Yeah, you know, definitely. Through GT or Vince Del yeah. like he had a surf shop. Oh yeah, Ocean he was Road. a surf. He's a surfer. He's yeah. he. So Greg Arnett is probably one of the most hardcore motocross cycling, which includes like road bike, mountain bike, skiing. Eventually became snowboarding and surf guys like way back I in the day ever met. Yeah, in my life, like and and I mean you talk about a guy like he trained with Greg LeMond before Greg LeMond won the Tour de France. That's what he, Oakley would send him there. He would do that. Then they're like, hey, put a surf team together. And he hired like Tom Carroll and Gary Elkerton and Damien Hardman and, you know, all these Aussie guys. They're like, where's his, uh, the U.S. guys? And he's like, well, we need these like gnarly guys, you know, not yeah. the U.S. wasn't gnarly, yeah. but these yeah, Tom Kern. Yeah. They had a whole guys army. Characters, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, his background is motocross. And so, um, you know, he's one of the first employees at Oakley and you know, Oakley's legendary brand. And I was yeah. like, well, okay, that sounds like might be my first real job. So, but he, but like you said, he was a surf shop owner. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. he, he was like a business owner. Like he was a designer. I mean, he used Find to sponsor that he was a, all those guys. He used to yeah. sponsor Vinny and he used to sponsor like yeah. Scabs and all these like, you know, Creek local guys. So you got introduced to him. He said he's going to start a brand. Yeah. And that brand is Arnett. Arnett. And I remember going, um, well, here's my... You're at the beginning. First, this was... Ground this floor. This was in, when he was in, it was in his garage across from Salt Creek. And um, I remember he's like, hey, um, come on over. I want to show you what I'm doing. And I was like, Cool. I remember I rocked up with like a six pack of Coors Light and I was like, yeah. I walked up and he's like, I don't drink. I was like, okay. I do. <laughs> okay. He's like, hey, have a, have a beer if you want, but I don't drink. And then I was like, okay. He's like, so, um, hey man, did you bring uh, your tennis racket? I'm like, tennis racket? No. He's like, well, I got some extra rackets. I got a court. We want to play a little tennis later? I was like, yeah, that's cool. Okay, so like wow. I meet meet you know, and he's showing me all these sunglasses. Next thing I know, I'm out playing tennis with him, and he's smashing rackets, and we're super competitive. And so he's like, "Oh, that's great, man! What a great day!" And I was like, almost kind of intimidated. And he's like, "Hey, can you come over tomorrow?" I was like, "Yeah, man, I'll be over." And he's like, "Hey, we're gonna go for a uh, we're gonna go for a, a, a bike ride. I have all the gear." It's like I was thinking we we're gonna go like ride around the block or maybe ride, you know. He gets down you dressed Dana up in, in, in a freaking. He gets me onesie. dressed up and I'm like I'm looking at him. I'm like this guy's gnarly. He's all shaved down and like muscles popping out. And I'm like, you know, he wasn't bald back then, but he was like, I think he was fit as hell. And I was like, holy shit. So next thing I know, it's not a normal bike ride. We're like Spawn out in Ir we're out in Irvine riding these bikes. Road bikes. Like road bikes and he's like getting behind me draft talk this is how you got to do yelling at me i'm like okay got it got it and after like an hour he's like okay we're gonna track down some other teams I'm like track down some other teams like are you shitting me like what are we doing next thing i know we're like on the you know you know like the uh san so creek how it goes out like way out like it goes out to like mission viejo off the five and then it comes in at Dana Point, right by Doheny. So we're riding down that thing, 
towards the beach and he spots like 20 dudes in a team and I didn't realize it then I'm like oh shit we kind of got he's got the we're in our own team jerseys we get up behind these guys we've already been riding for hours I was in good shape luckily and he's like go look pass call me up next thing you know we're racing another team it's like the second day I met this dude and I was like holy shit man okay stop for a second (laughs) so how do you get introduced to... So, I was in Hawaii in uh, October, November of 90 or 91, 91 probably. And uh, I think I was doing shit. I was doing shit for OP Japan, staying at the Turtle Bay. And we were up at 5... We'd get up at 5 a.m. go surf Felsyland. We'd come back. Then I'd have to do some stupid modeling stuff. And then Elko would come by. He'd be like, hey, we're going to surf Sunset. Contest is called off. It's too big. Okay, we're out there. Whatever. Snips. Whatever. Like, sweet. And um, I remember um, Big B said, hey, man, um, Arnett's over here from Oakley. He's doing a sunglass brand. And I was like, oh, that sounds killer. And uh, he's like, yeah, he told me to call him, whatever. It might be something, you know. When we get back, it might be, I was like, hell yeah. And I remember seeing him and asking him about it. He was showing people all this stuff. I was and like, Oakley was like... He had left He left Oakley a couple months before. He left Oakley. He's but Oakley was like blowing Oakley up. Oakley was the shit. Yeah, he had all the Oakley up. team riders. Yeah, yeah. It was like Oakley's heyday. Yeah. You know? But Oakley was still... We're talking thermonuclear... Thermonuclear protection, protection. bro. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. talking razor blades, blades, razor and frog blades, skins. And frog skins. Yeah. Unobtainium, like, to yeah. the maximum. Shit, shit's going. Unob- unobtainium. Yeah. Unobtainium. <laughs> yeah. Shit's was- going. But you he knew was, who he was. I knew who, uh, dude, I knew who he was. I remember he used to do these trips up and down the East Coast. And, um, Arnett did. Arnett did when he was with Oakley. And um, I, was, I was never really, it was, it was just like, for whatever reason, I kind of got a big head. And all those like razor blades and all that, it was like, they didn't, didn't, didn't really suit style. me that well. You know, they always looked like you were racing somewhere. Um, so I, I, I was kind of more of a, a Ray-Ban guy, actually. I thought, like, aviators were cool, yeah. and ballaramas and shit yeah. like that. Yeah. And so when he first showed me what he was doing, he's like, yeah, it's going to be all dark and black and cardboard and matte. And I was like, fucking You're psyched. I was like, this is great. So when you... When when Chris Brooks says, "Hey, you got to meet this guy and go to his house," oh, I had no idea. You went there with the fucking beer. Now, were you under the uh, impression like, "Okay, you're you're gonna work with the guy"? Well, no, I I was just under the impression like, "Hey, um, he's starting a company. Maybe there'll be some opportunity to do something for him." I had no idea. No idea. No, I knew I wasn't gonna model because at that point I was kind of like had been doing that for. 18 or 20 months and um i was just kind of like it was so hit or miss and i was like i had there was some good paydays and some and i I was sick of driving to la the subaru was at that point was beat up no air conditioning yeah back then you were doing thomas what what great money though for for it was just too much highs and lows yeah and and so i was kind of getting over it and uh so yeah it was after a couple times going to his house, one time my answering machine, I think I picked up the phone one morning. He's like, hey, man, I need you down here in like an hour. Can you be here? And at that time, my um, 
my Subaru was like, it was just about dead. I remember I was parking it on a hill that pops start to clutch. <laughs> so roll roll yeah, second gear. Second yeah, gear. I had yeah. a mountain bike, so I rode my mountain bike down there. And he's like, dude, we've got to unpack these boxes. I got all this shit off the fax machine. You got to start calling guys. I was like, holy shit. He's like, call all these reps. We've got some Quicksilver guys. And I was like, Wait, so, so he already had, had it set he up? Had, he called me the first day his, his glasses came in, but he had a stack of orders off the fax machine. So he had a business already He had rolling. this business he'd been working on for probably four or five months. But He, he had production made, he had reps uh, in place. Did he do any the, shows prior or no, just all word of mouth? The glasses he was trying to do was this, this wraparound called the Raven, which everyone sold the shit out of. With Ravens pots. was the first model? First, well, that was the one he was trying to do, but it was taking too long to get done, and they kept messing it up, so he came out with this flatter one called the Black Dog. Yeah. And then Black Flies kind of got into it with yeah. him. So that, the Black Dogs came in, and, and we were down there. We called it Jimmy in because we were trying to, like, make the frames, like, balance out because they were all cattywampus, and, you know, the, there was China on there. He's like, just take a little acetone and rub the china off so they don't know where it comes from. <laughs> like, so we were doing all this shit. So get on the things. He was yelling at me, set up the stuff. And he's like, I remember we worked for like 10 hours. He's like, hey man, um, uh, how'd you get down here? I'm like, I rode my bike. He's like, oh shit, I rode my bike too. Um, he's like, I don't have a car. I had to turn in my car at Oakley. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm riding my bike now. And I was like, oh man, um, I'm my car, the battery's dead, so <laughs> I'm riding my bike, I'm parking on the hill, you know, and he's so like, epic. so he's like, okay, cool, um, he's like, I'll see you tomorrow at like 7 a.m., I was like, okay, so the next day I remember, I remember like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I rode my, I drove my Subaru down there, and um, he's like, oh man, that was the car, what's going on, and and so for about the next two weeks, I'd show up every day. Didn't know what I was going to make. I'd work for like 10 hours. We'd do all this stuff. We you, you have no conversations about what? No money. I didn't know what I was going to make. I wasn't, didn't know anything. He's like, what are you doing? I go, I go hey, I got to leave at, at 6 because I got to go to the Red Onion. On the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I work over at the uh, Surf and Sand so I can do that. And if a modeling job comes up, I might have to drive to L.A. It's like, okay, great. So for yeah. the first two but weeks, but you you have no conversations about. Didn't even give a shit. I was like, did you, did you have to? Okay, about oh, your, your 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 degree. Like, hey, I, I went to school. He asked okay, me. hold on a second. <laughs> this guy starts telling you to help him do all the shit. Yeah. Okay. He, what he the asked fuck? Me before he asked me, he's like, hey, where are you from? East Coast. I think he was like, that's good. You know, he, he's like, yeah, East Coast is. Good work I think he liked that. Did you go to college? Yeah, I got to college. You have a degree? Yeah, I have a degree. Okay, what have you been doing? I was like, I've just been surfing and working and doing stuff, just trying to, you know, whatever. Make so shit I happen. Kinda, yeah. And then after, it was probably before, it was probably a month of like playing tennis and going surfing and, and, and mountain biking or doing, road biking. Yeah, doing doing shit like that. That was that was like the back test. then. That was your job inter- interview. Like, hey. Uh, maybe you could be my sales manager, my operations manager, and run my company. So did you, know? you have that kind of like, did you have that in, in your mind? That No, that I, did, I didn't. My dad, I had been there for about two or three weeks, and the fucking Subaru was still parking on the hill. And my dad was like, 
he's like, hey, I'm gonna, I want to come out and uh, and and see you, man. What's going on? And you know, how, you know, I want to see your place. But, you know, and at, at that point, I'd already moved out with Big, Big B, and we kind of like split split peaks, but. Biggs was going to be his marketing, and I was kind of like developing into sales. So my, I was like, "Yeah, come on out, Dad." So my dad came out, and um, I remember he walked into the Ardette place, and he's like, "Hey, Greg, yeah, Bruce Senior," and he's like looking at him, and he's like checking his operation out, and he's like, "Hey, Greg, how long do you think it's going to be before UPS is pulling trailers up here?" And Greg's like, "Wow, that would be good, yeah," and he's like. Uh, I think in about two or three years, man, you're gonna need a bigger operation. Trap UPS trucks are gonna be pulling up. Wow. You guys are gonna be able to see it because my dad was like into it. You know, yeah. he's like, oh, my son's got a real job now. And um, it but was, I thought, uh, hold on, <laughs> were you? Did you have a real job? Like, what, no, were you I, already I, like? I didn't even know what I was gonna make. I had no I, idea. And then what was funny? What kind of like? We kind of broke the camel's back. I think I think I had been there for two weeks, and one day I went surfing and came in at like ten o'clock. And I like rolled in. He said, like, "Dude, what are you? What are you? Where were you?" And I yeah. was like, I, "I went surfing, man." He's like, "Work starts at seven or eight, whatever it yeah. started at." And I was like, "Oh man!" And I was like, "Hey, what um, I I, I need to make some money, you know? I kind of want to get a." get the Subaru fix, whatever. Uh, he's like, what do you need to make? I was like, how about 10 bucks an hour? He's like, I could pay nine. I was like, all right, okay. That sounds good. He's like, yeah, keep track of your hours. And then what we would do is I'd, I'd get done work and um, he still didn't have a car. So we would have to push, both of us would push my Subaru because there was no hill in the, where we were parked. And then So we would push. He would push, push. I would jump in, pop the clutch, and start it. Take him home. I'd park on the hill, pick him up in the morning, and we did that routine. And then my first bonus, like a month or two into it, was a battery. He bought me a new battery for my car. <laughs> bonus so, is a battery. So I was like, sweet. I, I, I got a battery, dude. I can get to work this now. This is so fucking Birdman. epic, dude. I'm fucking thoroughly confused on what's going on right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude. This is... this Because is, it's like you're so innocent about... Dude. getting this job like yeah why didn't but, even... but why why were you like why did you not just say hey fucker well because well, he's a grom so, so no he's not so a grom he's 23 so, years old so without out, a real industry job so, he's been waking tables so at that but, point, no, but like come on at that like, he's at, a fucking at that point, he's from new jersey at that point what <laughs> he's I, not wet behind the ear. what i what i realized real quick i was like this guy is honestly loves surfing um he, he was super passionate about what he was doing. He didn't have investors. He didn't know how he was going to do it. And and what what happened, which I didn't, those, he was teaching me like every day, like eight, ten hours a day. I would learn. He'd been at Oakley for ten years. So I was learning stuff. Like I was on this fast track. I was learning so much about business and marketing and team and how he sponsored these guys and how to do events and not to do this and not and I was just like so I was kind of like a sponge taking it in okay. and I, and I, and then what happened like dude I was there a month I had but did you okay 
am sorry to well cheers to I, I trip out because it's, you know you're you're school. you're like you're a smart guy. Well, you you're a smart guy, you're twenty three fucking years old and you're hustling, you know waiting tables, parking cars, yeah. modeling. We loved all that too. You well you're 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 like you're savvy. You you know yeah. what you know what's going on, but you're you're like letting you're you're working for free. Well, so for like the first I whatever. For, I didn't know what I was going to make for about two weeks. After about two weeks, I was at nine dollars an hour, and then about four weeks into it, um, I got a call from uh, like on my answering machine from uh, Joe Pitka, who was like pretty much the Spike Lee back in the day of the Nike commercials and the Pepsi commercials. And I had done a commercial for, for him um, with uh, with Cindy Crawford and with um, and with uh, Ray Charles. And the guy really liked me and he couldn't find the people for the part and he called me directly. And um, I remember I got home and he's like, yeah, this is Joe Pick's assistant. I need um, you to call me back. Can you be here tomorrow at 7 a.m.? I need um, three other surfers with all the surf gear. I need a, a crew that looks different. And Joe says, you got this handle, just call me to confirm. So I was like, called her back. I was like, yeah, I can be there. So I was like, okay, who am I gonna get? And at that time, like, I'd been there for a month and I was like, well, I'm not getting, like, at that point even, me and Big B, we were like on totally different wave wavelengths and different tracks, which was cool. But I was like, okay, I got to get three people who I can kind of like. So I called Snips. Snips is like, I go, Snips, we got to drive up tomorrow. We got to leave at like 4 a.m. We got to be in Venice. We're going to do this commercial. And this is like 92. And I was like, this is like going to be super fucking big, dude. This yeah. can make you like more money than you made like the last two years in the PSAA. Okay, I'm in. And I was like, who else we get? He's like, what about Fro? He's already up there. Okay, I'll get Fro. Okay, call Fro. Fro okay. was like, I'll be there. I'll be there at like 6 o'clock. And then I got my other buddy who was a tennis pro at the L.A. Tennis Club, surf guy, whatever. So we're all there. We get there at 6. We meet Pick. The guy's like six foot four, super gnarly. Like I saw him make Sidney Crawford cry. He walks up. Who are these guys? They know what they're doing. Are you guys really surfers? Really? Where'd you surf? Like, you're, I was in the Pipe Masters final. Oh, I won the... Oh, what's that? He's like, just like... Gnarly. Like, super gnarly. We, we're there for... We go for there for an hour. We end up... He's yelling at me. Like, I got to do some shit. Long story short, we get the commercial. The commercial goes, like, national. And, like, I remember... So, I, I got back. I had to take the day off. And, um... Didn't know it was going national. We all made like really good money from it, and um, I remember Greg Arnett was like, "Dude, what the hell, man? You were gone all day, you know what I mean?" And I was like, "Hey, man, like I, I, we got to put a plan together. Like I've been yeah. doing this for like a month." So you finally fucked. Yeah, me. yeah. So when he goes like this, he goes, "Well, just write it out. Tell me what you need to make and what your plan is over the next five years. And I was like, I'll write it out. So I wrote him out this five-year plan. And I remember it was like 30 grand by this year, 50 grand, like 100 grand, whatever, three-year plan or something. I remember giving it to him and I was like, he's just going to be like, 
no way. And I'd already been working for a month, and he looks at me, he's like, you kidding me? You're gonna wait way more than that. Like, <laughs> triple. Yes. He's like, start right now, I'm paying you like 50 grand a year, like what? blah, 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 like whatever. Wait, from 40 nine, grand a year, $9 then, dollars then, an hour to 50 And then he went million. like this, he's like, but here's the rules. And I was like, he's like, this is like, and his rules, like, I mean, it was like boot camp for like a year or two. And there was a couple times I was, I was thinking, shit, man, maybe, I hope, you know, I did a couple things and like, you know, I was like pushed it a little bit. And then I, rem I remember, um, <laughs> I'll, ne I'll never forget one time he sat me down and he was like, after about six months, he's like, look, man, I don't care what he's like. You just need to do exactly what I do when I want to do it. This is my company, and I want to run a certain way. This is the way it's going to be. And back then, dude, like, talk about surf team. We had Potts, Luke, Hoy, The Law, just a few guys from there at the time. We had Taylor Knox. We had Pat O'Connell. We had Bobby Martinez. We had Rob Machado. We had, like this team of surfers and and everyone was just like all in everyone was gone 100 miles and that was just surf then everybody was, was waving the flag everyone was waving the flag and everyone was charging and i remember like it, you know it didn't take me really long to realize after you know i was like okay modeling's done all this other shit's done i'm 100 percent, and what at i'm just gonna commit to like making this shit happen yeah. and then we just like you know and then before i knew it that was like 92 or 93 and then the next thing i knew it was like seven years later it was 99 and like the but, company but was what like, was like that so you show up and you didn't know what you're getting into he's already got products showing up he's already got orders yeah like at you know he's self-funded you know yeah like how, how do you get these orders as word of mouth? Did he do any of the shows? Well, so we never did any trade shows. What we did back in the day, um, so what, what what Greg did, he hired a lot of guys. He hired a lot of guys like like me, you know? Yeah. He hired a lot of guys like, like GT was, was a, a, a perfect example of, uh, you know, of, of a guy who was just like, you know, it was an opportunity to yeah. actually flourish and and learn and like be a part of something that was like a young ambitious young, like team ambitious, player like, you know no kids no family that all happened little little uh alarm yeah break uh so okay finally comes to a head well before before arnett came to a head there was there was some some stuff that like there was a lot of magic going on, right? And 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 one of the things I realized real quick, one of the biggest pieces of the magic was um, Greg's son, Kip Arnett. And so, like, <laughs> I was like, you know, one day Kip showed up, and I was like, hey, man, what's up? He's like, yeah, Kip Arnett. I'm like, oh, so it's your dad. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah. Um, I'm like, oh man, so cool you're working here too. He's like, oh dude, I've been working for him pretty much forever, but I've been in design school and yeah, I've been doing all that. So so like, great. <laughs> he was in design school the first like six months I was working 
for Greg, he was finishing up design school and he was doing like a ton of the work already for, for Greg. And I was like, oh, okay. And then as, as, as things went on and on and we start, you know, there's during that time period of, of, of working for Greg, you know, I, I went, I was, it started out like the first trip I did was Miami to um, New Jersey. It was supposed to be Maine and after New Jersey, he's like, yeah, you got this cut out. It was like three weeks on the road. Didn't drink for three weeks. We ate salads. We were doing sit-ups every day, push-ups, surfing where everyone, and it was like a full training mission. And that was when I and, started. And selling to people. Sell, dude, we, every shop. We had this Jeep he borrowed from like Aunt Sleety, like his Anderson, or, or maybe it was a rental, I forget, but we would, we ha would have sunglasses shipped like every two days and just sell them out of the back to every surf shop. We'd be like, How much, what do you want? What do you want? And we would just like, Smart. here's your order. Here's okay. your order. Here's that, your order. Can we, can we, old school. Can we is, just go back to the fucking, almost the beginning? Because yeah. so this was like 93, 94, dude. This guy worked for Oakley. Yep. Before the lead, that, before, the lead designer. Before that, he, he worked for American Honda. He was the Golden Wrench Award. He had all of the, the star Supercross guys. He tuned their bikes. He, he was hired from, for, from, from Honda to design all their suspensions, like Greg Ward and all the, work, all the Supercross champs back in the day. And before that, he was on Yamaha. I think it was like Hurricane Bob Hanna and all these. So, so he was the guru. Like if you were in the, moto, in moto, if you were the supercross and motor, like he was the guy who designed your bikes, built your bikes, came to all the races, and then he trained and raced with you. So then, then that's how he met Jim Gennard because he was selling motorcycle grips at the races, and he hired him to come into Oakley and all those crazy stupid blades. Like Greg's name is on all those because he helped us. He's designed yeah. them, you know. So there was yeah. a long history leading into that. Okay, so. He starts his own company, mm -hmm. Arnett. In his garage. In his garage. But when you came into the picture, the whole tennis thing, the whole bike yeah. thing, he already had production in the yeah, works. Yeah, so he started production in Japan. We had this company in Japan. And um, so you, but you're stepping into. I was. Already of him, like already. Oh yeah, we were. We had. He had two. He had one style in production and one style in development. The Black Dogs were in production. The the Raven was in development, and they couldn't make the Raven. They couldn't. It wouldn't. It was too much of a curve. It was a eight base curve back then. Everything was six or four, and the uh, Japanese couldn't. They kept changing it because their faces the asians faces they couldn't make it work yeah so at that point their was, noses weren't yeah big it was a to, huge yeah. drama we had to change i can relate <laughs> yeah we had to we had to like switch Laura has no problem we had to switch production to italy and then and and so you know before i knew it i was traveling the east coast with them then i'm going to italy with them then he's like i need you to go here then but I, okay but Finally, that one day where you, where you missed a day. Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, <laughs> Yeah, what we got to figure want? out what's your plan, you know, what's our plan. And so we put a, ge a game plan together, and I forget if it was three or five years. He's like, Yeah, so we'll blow that shit away. What a trip, Bruce Birdman, 
Senior Playa, Monsieur <laughs> Playa, uh, Monsieur Plage. Monsieur it's Plage. fucking crazy how it took that long for you to discuss your role. Oh uh, yeah, right. But well, that's not. It's not month. Is not. It's fucking crazy, bro. It's not that. Come long. on, Larson. I, I think Larson. It's dude. Larson. Yeah. He. Dude. I was in a similar what? position, and was, it, uh, yeah, and, and, no, you were not in, ever in a similar position with with Ruka. You know, not knowing what I was going to make. Well, you were a team manager. manager. You had a you had a title. You you were playing a role. Oh. He, dude, <laughs> they didn't fucking discuss any of that yeah. shit. He just said, "Show up yeah. at seven o'clock." Well, well, yeah. and he did. So one yeah. of the biggest things is after I gave him my five year game plan, <laughs> and he looked at it, he's like. <laughs> But he came from a big company already. Yeah. Like he already knew. He right? knew. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't. None of that was discussed. Yeah. And then I didn't discuss it. I didn't discuss it. Yeah, he went from zero to nine dollars to fifty grand a year. Yeah. And and then the, the biggest is fucking crazy. Well, the biggest thing that he said to me was, um, "Well, so <laughs> you know, every trip we go on, um, we we're gonna bring um, our surfboards or our snowboards." And I just went, I went, so, like, when we go on a road trip, he goes, oh, you get, you get to bring two boards, you bring this, that, and it was like, for him, it was more important that we surfed with the shop owners, the team guys, we used to surf in events, yeah. like, it was, that was, the mo that was one of the important things, part of the prerequisites of the job. Can you... Can you set us up with an interview with them too? Well, dude, he. I'll tell fucking, you what, he man. He sounds fucking awesome. So here's yeah, the I deal. Mean, that, that You're was, awesome. But you he guys, sounds awesome you too. guys could do the best interview. So I just spent um, a couple days with him. He's got a ranch in Georgia now. He flies helicopters. He does all this crazy shit. He's fucking genius. And okay. we we just we, we want to talk about yeah. Bird that's it. We can set you up for yeah, him okay. for sure. We want to talk about Birdman because yeah. you. I mean, your journey. Yeah. The, the guy's fucking crazy. Like, and you're crazy for yeah. not like, I don't know. You're college educated. You're 23 years yeah. old. But it, it, for me, I was like mind blown that you're like, haven't like, you know, hey, yeah. what the fuck's going on here? But he's had no serious job. No, I didn't. I didn't have anything I could but really still, put on my resume. I, you're right, I dude. I'm just. I'm. You're, you're I making. Think, I think. No, but he's demanding shit from him. Well, but I. I think. Come here, at seven. Yeah. No, of course. But, but I think. So, so it was like twelve hours. It was, it was interesting. So, so there's there's two kind of things like that have really, you know, molded me in life. One one of them, like my mom was amazing. She loved sports. She was awesome. My grandma always took me to the beach. And, and my dad and I, we had, he never surfed, so he didn't understand surfing, but um, he, he, always, he, he always understood like hard work, he was a true entrepreneur, and he kind of understood like, you know, potential to, for business to do really well. Can I interject? Yes. Okay. I love the story where your dad comes to visit you to see what you're doing. Yeah, he's like, hey, he UPS trucks will be pulling trailers yeah. up here. Now, now was your... Five-year plan before oh, or after? Just, I, I don't even know, to be honest, if I had 
I don't think I had even put that the five year. I think it was like the first week or two. Well, I think it sounded like your dad been, and, and, and Greg were up here. Yeah, you were just kind of like yeah, whatever because they both said the same they, thing. They, they both have that military style background. They were both like. Um, but, but just the fact that your dad said, "Oh, you guys are going to blow up," and right, he's well, he he's yeah. and, and then and then Greg's looking at your your plan and be like, "Oh, dude, you're going to blow this out of the water." Yeah, let's go. Because they already knew but the potential. You don't know if that was before your dad's visit or after. It was. Bef- it was, My dad came in before we put the plan together. He okay. was there like the first week, literally. I think. I think my dad actually came in. We started like, we got product in like April. Of, 91 or 92 and and like right around that time i think the rodney king riots were like two weeks oh, out shit, that was yeah. when my dad flew in and it was all kind of that same same period but um it, it wasn't i wasn't just like some magic catalyst gt wasn't some mat it was like it was a it was an amazing like crew of of individuals coming together and there was like you know snips was our surf and moto team manager and like we would get faxes, like I remember the. And Snips remember, is making finals at PSAA. Yeah, like we'd get faxes <laughs> from Snips like a year before we were having toga parties, and you know with Elko and Luke and all the Aussies at our house. And a year later, Snips is like, "Yeah, man, I'm smashing the Oakley guys in Hasagor." Like, yo. Luke got third, Hoy did this, Potts did this, you know, blah, blah, the blah. Power and he's team like, team and marketing and gorilla. Yeah, and he's know? like, he's like, we're smoking the Oakley guys and, and we freaking blew them out at the party. And I was like, I was like, we're getting faxes coming in like that. And I was like, oh shit. And I was like, hey, uh, Greg, I got to get over there. You know, he's like, yeah, we need to blow it. So like, you know, Snips was out there just like, he was at every event, you know, and he was surfing with the guys, and so we, we had this like this team going, and then we had all these distributors going, and remember, um, one of the highlights of that era, I'll never forget. I think it was must have been around it's a couple of years in. So what 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 we did is you asked trade shows, no trade shows. The the thing was like no trade shows and no catalogs. And Greg was like, hey, we're going to put all our money into our team, our trips, our promo, and we're going to do two sales meetings a year. And he's like, you pick where the sales meetings need to be. One's in the summer and one's in the winter. I was like, this was like my first year. I was like, who is it? Now, these sales meetings were 120 people. They were like 20 athletes. Like crazy shit. So how, this was like early mid '90s before anyone was doing this shit. How did it all? What your five-year plan? Did you have a title? Did you have a? Oh, so he didn't even care about titles. He's like, dude, you're running the sales and you're running the operations. You can be director of sales, director of operations. Like we didn't even until he actually sold the company like four years later to Bosch and Lom. I think at that point he named me chief operating officer. And then I eventually became the CEO, but and it was yeah. a small, tight team. It was you, it was small. Him, it was me, Parsons, Kip Barnett. It was Big B. It was Kip Snips. Um, we had guys in, in sales. We we brought in. Um, I mean, well, shit. I'll tell you some guys we had, which most people don't know. Rick DeVoe. Wow. We hired Rick. Okay. Rick DeVoe was was doing the events. Agent music. He. Yeah. Blink-182, a couple mm-hmm. bands, like Rick DeVoe was in marketing during that era. Um, 
um, who else was in there? Oh, Chris Cote. Chris <laughs> Cote worked for us. Mike Cote? Carter worked for us. Um, um, Rod Stewart from Rourke worked for us. We had all these guys. And back then, a lot of these guys Sirianni? were like, Ryan Sirianni worked yeah. for us. And a lot of these guys were just like, they were like driving the Gonzo bus. They were on the Warp Tour. They were like, yeah. we were just like, and, and, and you to, needed bodies to be quite honest, all like all those guys, like you're just, these guys were just like, they showed up going, hey, what do I need to do? I remember a lot. We didn't even pay half those guys. And they would go to events. I mean, Rick DeVoe was like one of the, he, he was just like going to every music event we had before he even, you know, he was doing, but he was doing all these bands and promotions and shit. But we had like so many people who were just so committed to it that it was just like, that's when you know you got real energy and like Dude, a real there was thing energy. going. Yeah. And then and then when the money started coming in and whatever, like, you know, Greg Greg was was good about Enoch Harris worked for us from Billabong. Like we had like we had a gnarly gnarly crew of, yeah. of, of young guys. Like these guys were all just like me, 22, 23, maybe even younger, some of those guys yeah. when they came in. Eric Crane was young, he came in, we had all the, all, I remember he didn't even barely know how to work a Mac when he came in. He was going to design school, working with Kip, and like, but we had we had this 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 great group, and and one of the best things was was like the sales meetings we did. And I remember like the, the infamous sales meetings. The, one of the first ones we did, Stab, which was crazy. Stab needs to do one on like brands doing like yeah like, like the sales you know this, sales meetings party because this guy would come up in a oh, bunch like of those TV, yeah so the sales <laughs> meetings so so Greg was like hey um, what do you think and I go well let's we got a big crew why don't we do one in, in Mexico he goes what do you think and I go well Cabo would be ideal but there's some stuff in Mazatlan that might fit our group a little better you know so. Um, <laughs> it was funny. I got had a so I, how I, how long into the oh this was like ninety five ninety four ninety five four early four days years ninety in, no two three four three years three in, years in. three years in we're like we got to have Blowing a big up. sales meeting so I remember going I think I went um, I went to Cabo and it was like zippers was a little crazy and we got vibed out and then I went to Mazatlan and I was like. Holy shit, man! There's a couple sandpoint breaks up in the bay, and there's like these clubs. So we ended up going to Mazatlan, like 120 people, and I like I had no idea. There, like I was, I had a little bit of an idea, and I'll never forget. Like Greg's thing was like everyone's gone surfing 5 a.m., and like half of the dudes were coming in the lobby as the other half was going out from the night before, and we're trying to load up the shit, and like. Just complete debauchery, yeah. craziness. We had guys like Alistair Kraft, Brock Little, we had all these dudes, I remember. And like, we're wave, waves got huge, a hurricane came in, like crazy shit. We're surfing Shark Island, like 12 foot, Snips is yelling, get the, we're like, all this crazy, but we ended up having this like crazy sales meeting and the energy was off, off the charts and I remember so Greg was like, "So, um, where's the, the next, the next one, the, the winter one?" And I was like, "Well, we had a small one the year before at Mammoth in the winter, and then we drove the SIA to Vegas, but it was pretty small. So the next 
winter. I was like, Alaska, dude, that's where we got to go. We'll go to Alaska. We'll take all the snowboarders, all the surfers, all the reps, everything. So we had like 120 people. Out, guys, buses, LA, we fly to Alaska with this crew. I'll never forget, dude. The night before, the pots, <laughs> dude, we had all these Burton reps, right? They're making the best shit. And, and ride snowboards was like, you know, I was friends with Tim Pug, the founder, and, and GT was actually, I think, the rep. And all this, the Burton guys were like, hey, this is what you need to ride, Pots. This is what you need to ride. And somehow GT convinced Pots to ride a board with baseless bindings. And they were the worst bindings ever made because they didn't stay on the, they came out of the bindings, right? So everyone's psyching and we're going to the resort the next morning, everyone's super amped up and Potts is on like the first chair. They're like me and Greg and some other dudes are on the second chair. And um, Pot, Greg's telling Potts, hey Potts, you might want to take it easy, you know, in the morning, blah, blah, blah. And Potts just comes off the chair with these baseless ride bindings and I don't even, he must have been strapped in, but next thing we know, he's the first one off the chair. We got like 100 people going up, like Burton reps, everything. Potts just is going as fast as you can go. And then he goes into this like 50 yard bottom turn. And we're just watching like, holy shit. And he comes out of his bindings, does like 20 flips and just stops. And we're like, He's dead. He's dead. Oh. We're like, holy shit, we go down and he's in shock. Craig, the ski patrol comes, they wrap him up, they take him in the sled, they take him down to the hospital. He literally cut his shins because he flew out his bindings. The board hit him like straight through to the bone, you know? So they took him down. Are you fucking kidding me? Everyone snowboards all day. We got dudes, Steve Klassen, we got all these dudes, Davey McCoy. We got our snowboarder guys from Europe, like Axel, but we have all this crew. So that night, it's like the first night, there's like a big party in the bar and everyone's there. And then out of the blue from the hospital, Potts comes rolling in, dude. Headband Tuned on, up. and he's like, oh, t- yeah, he's all netted up. And he's like, and I was like, we were like, holy shit, how, like, we thought he died, dude. He came in and he like, we ended up having this huge party and super fun time. And I was like, it was just the, um, it was kind of the go for it, no holds barred. And like our athletes, our reps, like everyone was just always going so, full on. Okay. He starts this brand, you're at the ground level. It, it's, it's, it's crazy to hear how it was already set up, right? Like he, he had well, product coming in. All that all was set up was he had some designs, he had some Quicksilver wraps. Um, for the most part, he had a bunch of the Quicksilver wraps because they weren't making sunglasses and we weren't in snowboarding or anything. He was still skiing and myself but, and Kip and, and Big B were all into snowboarding and Ezekiel was up there. We were yeah. like, we're all snowboarding. So it's kind of OP for the OP days. Cause it with the winter surf, like yeah. that was the, we were like, it's mind blowing that it was like almost set up, but not really, but it was set up the, the, and you come in, right. And 
like he just puts you to work yeah without really like telling you what no. your work is the what blueprint you're gonna do. was there and the um well he knew everything the he just needed bodies there. So it, it mm-hmm. just it just it the the playbook was in his mind. The blueprint was there. Yeah. It just it just hadn't been like formally set up yet. Because so, like you know you're talking about 120 people, you know uh, reps. And it went Burton. super quick. It went man. quick, right? Like so quick. quick when you first, before your dad even came, and you know you start calling shops and you're you're yeah. doing your trips before these big sales meetings, like your surfer. You're selling to the surf industry, like sunglasses. There's Oakley. There's fucking. Well, uh, back back then it was it was pretty much Oakley ruled, and and there was Black Flies, which yeah. was kind of like the underground, like you know. So Black Flies like, was already out. Black Flies had been out for a couple of years, and um, like literally, like you know. They were um, super pop. Baby. Jack Martinez, yeah. Dan Flecky just passed away. It was Club Rubber. And, and, and um, God rest his soul. Yeah, and um, Jonathan Paskowitz, dude. Like those three dudes were like Arbs, Dan's past legends, dude. Yeah. And I first met before I even started for Greg, Dan Flecky, and Pat snowboarding at Snow Valley, and I was like, these guys are fucking rad, yeah. dude. And and the, the Black Flies guys were like, I mean. We would like, at first, like Greg was fighting with them and they were doing all these battles and shit, but we would like, me and Kip and the boys, we would see those guys out or we'd go to like Damien so Sanders bad. parties and yeah. Huntington, and Huntington and helicopters yeah. are coming in and we're like, this is fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. And we, we weren't even doing trade shows. We'd see him, they'd take over a whole club, whatever. Yeah. and Club and, rubber. Yeah, yeah, it was funnish. Like, it was like fun. the marketing, like, the way they spent their money, yeah. But that, that you want to get more bang for your buck. Yeah. These but guys there was, spent there was money. Energy, there was energy, yeah. and like we would, you know, I started going to Tavaru real early during those days, and you'd get there a week or two after, and you'd, you know, the place was still recovering from those guys being down really? there, and you'd be like, because I, I mean, <laughs> those guys yeah. were gnarly. I don't remember. They were talk about being ahead of your time, yeah. dude. Those yeah. guys were like. They were, they were like the OGs in the, and, and they didn't give a shit about anything, yeah. man, except, you know, they wanted to have a good time and yeah. they had a good brotherhood and those guys were rad. Yeah. The Black Ties guys were like yeah. probably the biggest They're into their product. They, they had good product, but they, they catered to a, a demographic. They yeah. knew they had an edge on. Yeah. And now they're like, that's our demographic and we're going to go after it. And it's our own niche. It was fucking huge. It's funny. I mean... Black Flies, Oakley and Black Flies were like the only... They were the only two when yeah. Arnett came, came yeah. in. And we were somewhere, we weren't as corporate and as as like competition and as white bread as, as Oakley. Yeah. We weren't as probably, I mean, we were, I thought we were, I, I was like, oh, we're pretty gnarly. And then I was like, whoa, those guys yeah. are way gnarlier. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So... Different so, ways, yeah. Yeah, they were way gnarlier. So Arnett was pretty successful out of the gate. Yeah, it was really successful. Yeah. Super successful. Okay. Super. So then, fast forward, you guys are fucking having these huge... Sales meetings. Sales, sales meetings, meetings were legendary. Weren't doing trade shows. 
legendary sales meetings. And um, globally distributed. Globally distributed right out of the gate. We had an insane distributor, Jim Lazaridis, in Australia. Um, we had an un- unreal distributor in Europe, Fleet Verges. Those guys kind of came out of the quick. Jim came from Oakley, Fleet came from um, Quicksilver. And um, with those right away, kind of like when, when I dove in and stuff, then we started connecting. Back back then, there was a um, we had a great relationship with Quicksilver, but Quicksilver was kind of shifting, and they started doing their own eyewear, and and um, you know we we kind of shifted into the Billbong guys, and the Billbong guys became all of our our net distributors in Europe, and um, with so that was like for for us the back then like Derek O'Neill and Reed Pinder and these guys and. And um, Brad Hockridge in the UK. These were guys. These guys were like, you know, Aussies, lit, living in Hasagor, kind of doing what you know Harry Hodge and Bruce Raymond and those guys had done earlier, but in a different way with Bill Bong. So we kind of leaned on those guys, and, and and those distributors were were really really huge for us back then. And there was we had we had a lot of good synergy with. Um, with all the brands back then, with with Billabong and Quicksilver, Rip Curl, yeah. and and um, and in the early early days, it was like, you know, when Volcom was stickers and T-shirts, and and all of a sudden, um, one of one of our first reps for Arnett was Juan Ashton from Puerto Rico, and Happy. Juan was the funniest thing, man, and. Um, I'm not going to mention names, but we had a rep in Puerto Rico who was a legendary rep and a great surfer, and he was a Quicksilver guy, and I ended up, like, you know, I knew Juan, and one day Juan, like, ripped in, in a wife beater and a chain and to, like, after, you know, a year of me being the sales manager or whatever, and he rips into the parking lot, and he comes out, I'm the man, I need to, I was like, where'd you get that car? He's like, Quack led it to me for the day. I'm like... He's like, I'm the man, I need to rep Puerto Rico. And I remember, so we hired Juan for our net. And, like, the other rep wanted to fight me and shit like that. It used to happen all the time and whatever. But we hired Juan, and it was, like, back then, um, it was, like, he was, I think he was riding for Quicksilver. And then, you know, all of a sudden he was, like, Arnett, and then he was, like, Volcom. Yeah. And it was, like... You know, he it was like his first job. He couldn't become the Quicksilver rep. I think yeah. Rick Villanueva was the Quicksilver rep. So Juan was the Volcom and the Arnett rep. Yeah. And so we got, we had some of the early um, Volcom reps. And then when it came to snow, we hired a bunch of the Burton reps. And we were like, I was like, well, if we can get the Burton and, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it was you had good, the best of good, both worlds good, there. Yeah. yeah. So... And we only had, and like talking about Arnett and the the product and marketing. Holy shit! Like, I was at HSS yeah when, when this was happening, and I remember yeah Black Dog, yeah Raven, uh, Catfish, yeah uh, oh man Hotcakes, uh, all these fucking iconic well, sunglasses that were embedded in your brain yeah. because you're like. Well, it's funny, you know, Tom Winchell. Oh, Winch, dude. Right? 
Like, Winchell, Winchell fucking told me, he goes, yeah, you know, uh, Doug, God, industrial Doug. Doug, the fuck is his last name? God rest <laughs> his soul. Doug. Yeah. You remember? Yes. Industrial. Yeah. And Doug would like, came up with a, a, a profile of a customer. Oh, he's Poo Cat. He's white Poo Cat. And that's white catfish guy. Oh, dude. Right? Like, uh, I'll tell you. So he, he had him. Here's, here's two. Here's, so catfish, I'll give you two stories. It was, it was funny. I, I did a little bit of homework and one of my favorite surfers and never had a bad time with her ever is Lisa Anderson. And, um, yeah, was, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. And, and, um, when she lived in San Clemente, it was awesome. Cause she Quite was, sure. she was a huge inspiration to the Groms, the girls who now were the best are coming out of San Clemente. A lot of that has to do with her and the middle school and, and the huge inspiration to the younger kids too. Um, like my son, Max, but it was funny. I was listening to that podcast with Randy Hill and he was talking numbers about, yeah, we went to 5,000 and then 10,000. I remember with Arnett, cause I was in charge of all the purchase orders and stuff from the factories. And when the, when the Raven hit, it was like, I remember putting in an order for like 10,000 units in black. And the Four factory, days later, uh, the factories, again. Like, factories like, is that a thousand? I was like, no, that's 10. And they were like freaking out. Well, we got to go see the factory. So we go see them. And then like a couple months later, I was like, well, we need like 30,000 in black and we need X amount in this X amount. And it was like 50,000. And they were like, fuck, what the fuck? And then when we started doing white and chrome and all these colors, yeah. it was like, it, it, was, it was crazy. And and then so, before okay. we knew it, we're into the, the catfish. And the catfish was kind of like this phenomenon. And I'll never forget, I remember I put in an order one time with the factory for like five different skews of catfish. And it was like, it was like, let's just say, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And they're like, is that 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, and 5,000? And I was like, no, it's 150,000 units, five SKUs. And they were like, who's going to pay for that? And I was yeah. like, um, we already have order, orders for them. And they're like, um, they like couldn't even believe it. And then... I can't even believe it right now. So one of the craziest things that happened is... One day, all of a sudden, this was MTV, which was kind of like social media on steroids yeah. back in the day. Carson Daly. We, that was, that we, was the we biggest had, We had, <laughs> Lenny, you know, Lenny Kravitz and Madonna and the Beastie Boys and all these guys wearing our stuff and hanging out and partying and doing all this crazy shit. And I remember, like, Greg loved it. Oh, Beastie Boys, they're great. Oh, she's awesome. Stevie, like, he loved all this shit. And then I remember one day... He saw um, Vanilla Ice wearing like a, a pair of like whatever it was, silver. I think I think it was sil It was like su silver freaking catfish. It wasn't even ravens or something. We were already onto that, and he's like, "How? The, who in marketing calls me? That was a bad get call. up to my office!" He starts yelling at me, and I'm like, "Dude, I just let me get to the bottom of it. Like, I don't think we would send." Vanilla Ice, I don't think so. I ask everyone in yeah. marketing. So he was, he was against Vanilla no, he, Ice wearing. He was 
pissed. He yeah. was so pissed. Like, I want to know who freaking sent those to Vanilla Because nobody would buy them. They're right? not that gonna caliber get it. Blah, 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 blah. So after it takes but not me, the one you want. it takes me a couple days, right? I finally find out. I'm like, Greg. I'm like, dude. Vanilla Ice lives in like Fort Myers, Florida. He went into the surf shop and he bought like ten pair. He's like. That's it. I'm fucking discontinuing those. We're not making any more of those. Blah, blah, blah. So I remember what? he like discontinued all silver of them. Silver catfish. No, I think it was actually Silver Raven at the time. It was for, he, he did some stuff like that, but he discontinued it. And I'm like, what are we going to do with the inventory? I don't care. I'm not, I'm not having Vanilla Ice wearing these shades. If, not, if he wears them, Madonna's not going to wear them. So whatever. Ooh, so the next thing, heart, he, pulls it, he pulls it off. And... Um, all of a sudden, I'm like, people are freaking out. I'm sold out, man. Where's the silver raven? What's going on? And yeah, and it, you know, it's funny. Like we don't, we, we didn't really bring this up. It's like, you know, you're selling the surf shops, you know. Dude. Yeah. And Whoa. the 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 thing about, you know, when you look at a a business, the 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 categories in a surf shop. Right, boards, wetsuits, clothing, right, apparel, and sunglasses were fairly new. New, you and know? they took up little space, quick turns, you yeah. know, pre book, but, but everything. The, but that the celebrities, or you know, like the people wearing them, it's it not created it's, a category. Like, but Oakley and Black Flies. They were starting a category, right? Yeah. But, I mean, when you look back at when it finally blew up, it was when you guys yeah. got on there. It was kind of and like 94, 95, when it, 94, yeah. 95 was that. Because, you know, yeah. I, I was there when we were selling uh, Oakleys, and I was there when we were selling Black Flies, but it didn't really mean, it, it wasn't really like a hot center of yeah. commerce, right? Oh, the, like, sun, the sunglass area in the shop was just there was kind of, no sunglass area. It was like kind of. I remember in the it was front, like, it was that one it, little. It was, a, yeah. no, it was like there was no yeah, fucking. No, there was yeah. no sunglass stations or sunglass. No, no it was an it was in the counters. Yeah, it was. It was like where the stickers were. One of the things I think um, Arnett really did is it, it made it it made it uh, a key category in the mm -hmm. shops. It made it a a, a, a margin. Uh, one of the a margin leader or a, uh, yeah when you look at yeah. price per square foot and what's the term when you think about business and like categories that was like one of the first ones to to really like introduce a different segment to the our world yeah to the action sports surf world yeah where okay fuck you know Quicksilver board shorts right yeah and you know O'Neill wetsuits, right? Like it, it are, are which is are, super surfy, but sunglasses cross over and cross over, crosses over, crosses and, over and, and and when you're getting music, art, yeah, yeah. When you're getting these, the music, not the music influence, but you, you know, you are getting those customers that are, yeah, infatuated with those yeah. artists, and they're like, well, where do I get these? But driving new business into the surf shop, I think that kicked off. Oh, dude, more sure. more uh, innovation and more yeah. like uh, people. It kicked off a, a customization kind of culture too, because people started 
we started doing like one-off things and taping stuff off oh, and like yeah. pinstriping. And that that was at the time when Quicksilver was like, "Well, we're making sunglasses. We're getting in the snow. We're doing. Oh, yeah. We were doing this. Every other brand was like exploding in other categories where yeah. they kind of yeah. used to stay in their lane. And yeah. it was until these other categories really started taking notice and really driving like well, major a, revenue for retailers. It, it was a tricky time too because we all of a sudden. Um, Quicksilver was making shades, and I remember, you know, Pierre Agnes, who was awesome, was just like, that was uh, one of his, I think he was part of, he used to run the accessories, and that was one of his big things, and I was like, ooh, he's pretty gnarly. Dude, all right, so they're making sunglasses, I wonder how that, and and luckily we had, we had some athletes, um, like Matt Hoy, who was like, I'm electric. Or no, no, I'm Arnett before Arnett, electric. So yeah. he's like, I'm just, it's not in my contract. Yeah. So there was some guys who were able to, ne- to negotiate, to, like, to stay on it. But there was like, there was a lot of conflicts where when all the uh, surf brands, the clothing brands started making eyewear, where all of a sudden this, it got really dicey on yeah, that, how that we area was it. They were yeah. starting to do wetsuits, like, you know, again, yeah, like, used to stay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they started doing everything. You used to be able to have a sponsor for each category, and then all of a sudden, like, they, Quicksilver wanted everyone head to toe. Yeah, that was it. And, and it was like, hey, Rip we want to own everyone the top to third of your board. There's, yeah. You know, no, Even yeah. O'Neill did sunglasses, I remember that. And then uh, Oakley started doing board shorts and wetsuits. I was like, holy shit, everyone's doing everything. Yeah, that was lame. So yeah. you, so, <laughs> so primarily the whole 90s was this wild ride of wild I mean, ride crazy, you know, crazy success. Crazy and success. Was there, was there an end game for Greg or just so, the opportunity no, presented? So there, was a, there was a huge end game and, and, and Greg's... Get to this number and Greg, we're done? Well, yeah, well, Greg, we went from zero to 26 million in three years and in in 27 or 30 months he sold it to um he sold it to bosch and lom for 100 million and at the time this was this never three years this never gets talked about you guys like it's not on Chop Eat Surf. It's not on Stab. It's nowhere, dude. It doesn't. I thought it was like seven or eight. It doesn't he sold get talked. No, three years. He, he sold it in January of '96. I started working for him in April of '92. It wasn't even. It was like three and a half years, and it got sold for a hundred million to Oakley, or to, to, to excuse me. To That's Bosch a great American story. It got sold to Bosch and Lam and. And the, what a great the amazing story. thing about that story was I'd been working there for four years. I started as this job and that job and United States, international. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I was going to Rochester once a month, sometimes on the private jet and in board meetings with a billion dollar company, learning how to read P&Ls frontwards, backwards, inside out, upside down. Sold? No, d- during the process. Right when we sold it. So right when we sold it, Greg had a guy above me and he was a great guy but didn't didn't work out and all of a sudden next thing I know, I went from kind of like the COO to the CEO and and then I reported to the CEO of Bosch and Lom Eyewear which included Ray-Ban and Killer Loop and Revo and um, the CFO. I reported to them and to Greg and I had was in charge of like what was a 26 million which would go to a 50 million dollar business in like two and a half years. 
So, and I was going, learning. It was like, I remember being in meetings with these dudes and I was like, they were like, just pay attention and learn. You're getting your MBA right now. Wow. It was like learning shit that so like, he, nobody, he in, told, nobody in the industry but, knew at that but, time. But were, were those... It was like being a trained heads, Navy SEAL. Were those yeah. heads at Bausch & Lomb tripping on a brand coming out of the gate and in three years yeah. doing 25 they, million they, like they were like what the f- they had like- tried they had they had um they had an opportunity Bosch and Lom and this isn't like all business and sunglass Bosch, huts and other Bosch, big box Bosch, this is core Bosch and, Bosch and Lom had an opportunity in the uh late 80s early 90s to buy Oakley and they didn't buy it because they took a trip out and they're like these dudes are all fucking whack walking yeah. around in jeans and t-shirts yeah yeah they're not serious about it yeah and yeah. it was the, and at that point <laughs> they the guy said lesson. it was the biggest mistake they we ever the... made and so when they came out to visit our company and we had a basketball court and, and they... coming in in board shorts and we're working half the dudes with our you no know, t-shirts on they were like we need to buy this company yeah and, and they obviously did. no Greg came from Oakley yeah. and they, yeah. they had a whole backstory, yeah. so it so kind of just made sense. They, they bought it, and what was crazy is when they bought it, um, there was some fallout. Oh, you're on corporate, and there was some weird shit, and I was just like, great, dude. Awesome. Now I get a, a, a director of finance, HR manager, and there was like some radical changes because we had to behave a little differently, but for the most part, it was was still the same and then now did you have equity at all or no no equity zero equity um when um greg sold i was in france with him we were actually in um did anybody else have equity we were we were in um um no um at the time he uh, there was one silent partner and um, the guy who was ahead of me had a little bit of equity. Greg owned like most of it. And when he sold the company, um, he gave Kip Arnett and myself and Big B like some huge bonuses, which were like life amazing. Changing. The life shape. I was like, holy shit. I'd already bought a house, but I was like, wow. And um, I was in um, the Alps on a trip with him. And he, called, he told me what he was doing. And he's like, Hey, like some people are gonna freak out, and he's like, "But, you know, I'm gonna wire you X amount." And I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude! Awesome, yeah, man!" Yeah. And he's like, "Hey, man, this is good. This is just another one of those, like, you know, jump in and let's go." And I was like, "Sweet, that's so fucking rad." So, so we had what was another... the thing about the R net with the two T's? Okay, so that was really simple. So. Originally, so Greg's uh, Greg's last name, same as Kip, is A R N E T T E, right? Oh, there was two T's. No, I'm gonna hold on. His oh. his name is A R N E T T E. When Greg started the company, he thought it was too long, A R N E T T E, to fit on the glasses, and he thought it would be better to shorten it to just A R N E T. So he shortened it, and he didn't want it to be his last name. He wanted it to be still Arnett. Yeah. So. Arnett. Yeah. Well, did what, he get grief for Varnet? Varnet. So what happened is pretty quick. Um, Varnet. Um, um, 
I think it raised some eyebrows with Varnay, and he was already like him and Jim Gennard were in a big pissing match because of the way he left. And what happened was um, Oakley and Arnett and Varnay kind of ganged up together and sued Arnett for the ARNET said there was confusingly similar with Arnett, uh, Varnay in France. Yeah. So um, that's when we added the two T's. He had to like burn like millions of dollars of inventory, pay him some money, and it was just like kind of a shit show. But that kind of all happened right around the company being sold. Mm -hmm. And when I kind of took over as the head part, and I was like, who gives a shit? It's got two T's now. Fucking so what? No yeah. big deal. Yeah. And we kind of like, um, you know, and when companies get sold, some, some people laughed and started other things, and I was like, no big deal. And when I, so one of the coolest things that happened for me is I went from CEO to CEO, and Greg's like, you got to hire somebody to replace yourself. It's going to be really gnarly, but you need to find somebody like kick ass. And, that, and it was funny talking about wetsuits and rashes. Um, I had just gotten a couple Quicksilver wetsuits from John Gothard, and the things were rashing the shit out of me so badly. And right away, it was before I even called him up and tell him these wetsuits suck. I got promoted in this new job, and Greg's like, who do you think's a good guy? Oh, go. this guy's not going to have a job long with the rashes I'm getting. I got a dude, Gothard would be great. Greg's like, no way, dude. You think you could get Gothard? I was like, dude. Like, two days later, Gothard's like, down there, when do I start? And so that was <laughs> the immediately. Fucking, the fucking egos dude, in this this was building. immediately when we sold the company to Bosch and Lom. Now I'm the CEO. And now I got Gothard working for me. And, and talk about like a whole new, like now it wasn't just bring your surfboards and snowboards, but make sure you got your golf bag in there too. Yeah. And your tennis racket. Yeah, yeah. So we were like, dude, it was like talk about fun. And then we were doing optical shows. We were doing shit. And like. Dude, working with Gothard, I, I only got to work with them for about three years, but I can honestly tell you it was probably the one of the most funnest times of my life. And when I first hired Gothard, everyone was like, oh, dude, Gothard, like, he's been in the industry, and he's been a pro surfer, and he's been all this and that. And basically, right out of the gate, we lined it up, whatever, and, and like, Gothard reported to me. I was the boss, and Gothard helped literally double the sales of the company in, like, Three years under Boston Because he rips, because he's a surfer, no, because he's a, like the man. Dude, it like, was funny. That so, was like, but <laughs> did he have eyeglass experience? No, none at all. Gothard never had any eyeglass experience. And I, he didn't have Wetsuit experience. He didn't have right? Wetsuit experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Gothard. Really good at ping pong. Yeah. Really great at yeah. golf. Yeah. And a great surfer. And, and like... Dude, wicked tongue. Gothard, dude. <laughs> Motherfucker's got a wicked tongue. I'll tell you tongue. what, man. Yeah. Talk about worth that work ethic. He's like, what time did we start? And back then, I was like, dude, we, we started at 8 and at 5. Johnny showed up for work between 7 and 7.30 every day. And he left Hired at 5 o'clock. Brown noser, Gothard. No, he left at 5 o'clock sharp, and he would be like, I would be like, Dude, that that is like he's not one of those guys who would like milk it a couple out. He'd do all his shit, whatever we needed to do, and yeah. he'd be like, I'm fucking out of here at five. I'd yeah, be like, yeah. that's awesome. I got my work done. 
But when I did hire him, though, he I don't know if he was surfing that much, but then when he started, he like he he like kicked his surfing back into gear, and we used to have so much fun surfing, dude. I, I hadn't surfed fifty six. Or not 56th Street, but I remember Newport Point when, like, we surfed there one crazy day, and like, all these guys were out, like, and then not like Jeff Parker and all these dudes, and and like, it was like, it was amazing. Yeah. It was an amazing time, fun shit. So, so after our net, then what happened? So when towards the end of our net, and when it was sold, there late nineties, late, there was kind of two camps, right? So there was, when I took over the CEO job, the guy who was the CEO, um, he basically went with um, SNPs and GT and, and Pat, and they started the Realm. Oh. Um, and that was kind of like, so they were doing the Realm for a few years, and, um, you know, they had some success and everything. And then a couple of years after that, when... What happened was was Bosch and Lom, which included Ray-Ban and Arnett, sold to Luxottica, which is the biggest eyewear company in the world, who later bought Oakley. It all kind of yeah. came around. Sunglass had everything. So when they were in the process of selling Bosch and Lom, they came to Greg and I, and they were like, hey, um, we're going to um, put you guys on a retention agreement. You get a year's bonus if you stay on company sold whatever so um they sold the company to exotica and we started you know we went we had to go over um myself and greg were supposed to go meet leonardo del vecchio which she just passed away he's like the richest guy in the world now or maybe bezos might top him but he was the owner of exotica he just passed away and so he's like, hey, I want to see you guys. They sold it in June. He's like, I want to see you guys in August. And Greg's like, a killer. That's when the contest has gone on in Hasegor. Sweet. We'll yeah. do a sales meeting and we'll go surf for two weeks and do whatever. Mike Carter came with us, whatever. We went to France. We were supposed to meet him in two weeks. Mark, Mike Carter, you said? Mike Carter. So at that point, Mike... Um, Snips left to do the realm. GT left to do the realm. Enoch went to Billabong. Like, you know, all these guys had great opportunities, which was great. They were all mm -hmm. moving around and doing stuff. So Mike Carter, who started driving the but the Gonzo bus, the Warp Tour, took over the surf, and then he took over the snow. And so he was kind of like our our head marketing guy at Arnett. So myself, Greg Arnett, and Mike Carter went to have a meeting in Europe in August during the contest. And during that time, we were supposed to go to Italy and meet with the new owners and stuff, you know? And we were there for like two weeks and then we were supposed to, to go and then we got a call saying, hey, um, you guys um, can go back to the United States. We don't need to meet with you until next week. They fly business class, whatever. And Greg's like, yeah, right. We're not flying back, we're surfing. So two weeks turned into a week, a week turned into six weeks. Wow. So literally we spent six weeks, Hasegor, Mundaka, surfing, hanging out, like the whole time. Just like surfing with Rostovich and Parko. Those guys were like 17 and 18 and, you know, 
Luke and all the guys and and um and Greg was like screw screw this guy dude we're we're not going home until we meet with him we could we'll just keep surfing here for whatever however long it takes and I think at that point Greg didn't really maybe not give a shit but he kind of maybe saw the writing on the wall and at that time I even started thinking like hmm I wonder if this thing does go sideways what what's the next play and then all of a sudden we got a call. We we're like there for six weeks in France, which August and September didn't suck. We got a call, and the guy's like, "Hey, you guys need to be in Milan in like 48 hours with Kip Barnett." And back then, still, this is like '99. No cell phones, no shit. Greg's like, "Get a hold of Kip." I'm like, "I'm the bot." Like, get a hold of Kip. Like, so I'm trying to track down Kip. Kip's in Vegas. He's out there with Donnie Dyer, and, and who was one of our sales guys at the time. And I think these guys, I don't know what the hell was going on. There's a big convention. I don't want to say what it is. These guys are out for. And I tracked down Kip at, like, the pool at the Hard Rock for, like, Rad. the porn convention or whatever it was. And I was like, hey, man. I hate to give you some bad news, but you got a first-class ticket. You're leaving tonight to Milan, and we got a meeting with Del Vecchio. And he's like, what the fuck? What? And I was like, yeah, sorry. So, you know, 48 hours, Kip shows up. He's pissed. I had a business plan, 120 pages with our team, our athletes, everything. Go meet Del Vecchio. We've been in France for six weeks. We're all, like, surfed out, like, whatever at that point. And um, we went and met with the guy, and he, he flipped through the business plan in, like, 15 seconds. He went right to the head count. He's like, hey, um, you got 100, you know, 100 people. I want to see this down to 12 or 24. You got 100, you know, 100 athletes. I want to see that down to 12. And this is the way it's going to be. Wow. And we just, Greg's like, whoa, whoa. And he's like, yeah, hey, guys. And you, yeah, I'll see you here next month. Holy shit! So we went <laughs> into the, and it was like now. So it's wait, like, it's like they I'm, wanted you to downsize everything. They wanted us to basically. He said, "Hey, we're gonna take everything." It's kind of Oakley went through a little bit of that when they bought it. We want to take everything. We're doing it in Port Rock. Some of the stuff that he actually wanted us to do was smart. It was ahead of its time, and I. At the time, we went back to the hotel room, and Greg's like, "Holy shit! What do you guys want to do?" And I was like man I go I think I'm done and he's like nah you just gotta work three more months just go with the flow you're gonna get a year paid out payout from yeah. just your your salary whatever you, yeah. and he's like what do you want to do I go man I go I think I want to start my own company and he's like what do you want to do Kip and he's like yeah I'm down with Bird to start our own company and Greg's like alright if that's what you guys want to do cool I don't want to know anything about it from here on out you guys figured out like he's like Bert and I are under employment contract for the next three months yeah you guys figure it out and that and that's it and then so Kip got on a plane went back to Vegas <laughs> and then he and then Greg was like hey man um it's gonna suck you gotta do all this shit um he's like he's like the athletes is a tricky part man because he's like we got all these guys he wants it to go down to specific amount of guys um you just got to do it so for the next like six eight weeks i was on a plane first class to milan every two or three weeks 
for one hour meeting. Be the craziest shit, dude. Wow. Fuck I was meeting with Valentina Rossi for two hours. I was meeting, and like, I learned again. I was like getting, I was getting my doctorate degree because I was learning from this guy who'd pull me in, and he'd be like, he'd be like, Bruce Valentino Rossi says this brand he wants to ride for Killer Loop, and I was like, Killer Loop, dude. I was like. Dude, no. do you want to be a rock star or do you want to be like a freaking kook? What is a kook? You know, this is Valentino Rossi. That guy was like fucking the man. And I was like, dude, you can wear these or these, you know? Yeah. So it was like, but I kind of held my ground. You, you were getting educated, but you were educating him. Yeah, I was getting educated. I learned a lot. And then one of the, the coolest things I did is I went and um, had to uh, figure out what we are going to do with the athletes. At that point, like guys like Andy and Bruce were on like 30 or 100 or 20 grand a year and I just went hey you got Andy like you can go 120 130 140 Bruce you could go like 90 100 and they were like you just putting some zeros on that I was like yeah they were like high five like psychic you know they're like sweet so I did that with a, a few you know we by cutting a bunch of the other guys yeah, because we had, he's yeah. like, this is what we're going to do. Here's your so, budget. So, so I was like, well, I, how do you at, that, spend at that point, it? I'm like, I'm leaving. I'll do whatever you want to do. I don't give a shit. I had to tell employees, it was gnarly. Cut employees, downsize, do all this shit. I, t- I had to tell Gothard what we are doing, and Gothard was just like, yeah. He was like, you know, doing whatever. And I knew I was going to start electric with Kip. I talked to Carter. Carter was like. What year was that? 99. It was fall of 99. It was like September, October, November. Went on a trip to Tabaru on an on a Arnett trip, and I knew that uh, the suppliers told me that GT and um, another guy were over to start a sunglass company. So I was like, ah, oh, these guys are starting a sunglass company. We're starting a sunglass. I'm like, oh, here we so go. So you guys were. It was already kind of like so. One of the best things that made Arnett, and it was kind of like. Excuse me. It was kind of like Arnett and Black Flies, or Arnett, Arnett and Oakley, but it was like um, VZ, VZ Electric. Yeah. And I knew all that, and it was crazy. We had a trip in October to uh, Tavarua that got got through this big sales contest, and we we're taking reps and employees and all this shit. And I was on the trip, and and GT and I were like already kind of arcing up on each other because he left to do Rome and then I knew he was doing sunglass and knew, and, and he was on the trip we are still doing our net he was still repping yeah he was still repping and, and we ended up on the plane ride to Tavarua getting in this huge blowout and everyone was like freaking out and then then, then like Woo! then we got to Tavarua and the funny thing is is um I think it was Jim Vaughn from Wellbone, it was, it might have been his trip we jumped on, and, and there was all these, there's retailers, all these people, <laughs> and we're like, everyone's all psyched on Arnett, and on my back of my mind, I'm You're like, out. I'm out of here, I know GT's out of here, and the funniest thing was, like, the first five days, the waves were flat, and, like, all we did, all Gothard and I did was, like, we, like, drank and played ping pong all day. And I remember some. I remember hearing some people going like, 
you know, Gothic goes, man, a couple people think we're like kooks, like we don't know how to surf, or like we're just like claiming it and everything. I was like, Johnny, dude, once the waves, once the waves get six foot, we'll go surf. Don't, I mean, and then the waves started pumping, and like I remember one day, like Gothard and I were out there, and this like swell came up, and everyone's like, sure, everybody, everyone's like, no, they're going like, hey, where, where are you guys? We're like, it's it's on now, and yeah. like. But it, it was it was we had Kurt Fry on the trip who was another awesome. like Big C. Big C was um, one of our amazing reps at Arnett and Integral and building the brand like GT and then you know next thing those guys were on VZ and we're on Electric and it's like oh shit here we go again yeah <laughs> you guys are at box Cloud Rake yeah Cloud Rake which like, is. If anybody's been there, they know how intimate and small the oh. island is, and you know everything. So you guys were gonna, you you came to this island, both working for Arnett. Yeah. Both with yeah. visions of two new brands. Yeah, I don't think that I, I think GT and I knew. I don't think anyone else knew, and you know, we, you know, GT's like. Yeah, he's a passionate dude. I love the guy, and I was passionate, and we just kind of like <laughs> it was funny, man. We had we had some blowout, and then everyone was kind of like a little bit freaked out about it, and then you know, like he said, Jay, you get there, and everyone's just like, ooh, you know, because it's like what boat, you know, trying yeah. to switch boats or who's hanging. You can't really go anywhere. Can't go anywhere. I mean, you gotta go to the Motu maybe, but like you can't really go anywhere. No. So that was kind of the start of electric, man. And then, you know, before I know so it, who who started electric? You, myself, and Kip Barnett. Okay, we were both equal partners and co-founders. We brought Mike Carter in, gave him some equity as a marketing director. Um, Eric John from Laguna Surf and Sport came in. He was the first, our only in, investor. We, um, Greg. Um, Kip and I had made some money from Bosch and Lom and some money from Electric. We dumped all our money into that. How, how did you come up with the name and concept? The name and concept was crazy. We spent, this was, again, before, I mean, I guess internet was going on, but back then we were looking at, like, encyclopedias and books and freaking rock book, like, not, like, you know, bands and all this shit trying to come up with a name. And just writing shit down, writing shit down, writing shit down. We would meet, you know, once a week for a couple months. And, and then um, we, I don't know how we came up with it, but we kind of narrowed it down to a, to that name. And we all kind of liked it. And then Kip started sketching some stuff out with it. Eric Crane, we hired as our um, creative director. And he was, he was kind of an independent dude at the time doing working for some other companies and he came in and kind of refined the, the logo and and at the time we were like you know the I, I had a good relationship with intellectual property guys and I knew all the right lawyers from New York and we hired some guys um, and amazingly they were like because nobody like who would have thought electric would have anything to do with sunglasses? Like, well, that it would probably have been coined already and copyrighted by somebody. But didn't think. have anything. There was nothing in the category. There was nothing even close. There was like general That's electric. Crazy. So it was like, 
it's like we did all we like even couldn't believe it and then so we meant to be we registered it we got it and then we just like i mean electric is such a badass name it's a badass name and our, our whole thing was like the Volt logo. We loved how it like does tied it, in. Doesn't the Cult have a of one of their albums? Best. Electric, yeah. Yeah. And my favorite fucking album. And one of our best shades once we got going was the ECDC, which is a form of electrical current, but close to ACDC. Yeah. Game. So it just it was good time. A lot of good play. A lot of good yeah. good play. We we got the other big thing is as I was leaving our net, um, I went to Luke Egan. And he was one of the guys I was going to sign with Andy and Bruce and select crew of guys. And I was like, hey, man, here's contract Luke, whatever. And he's like, he's a pretty savvy businessman, super savvy. And he's like, he's like, and I couldn't tell anyone what I was doing. Like, nobody. Because I thought I was going to get sued by Luxottica. The day I left, they took my whole office and fucking shrink-wrapped it, Gothard said and put it on a pallet and shipped it back to Luxottica and read through every file and I knew that was going to happen. So I was like, I, was so, I couldn't tell anyone what I was doing. Fuck. I was so scared of those guys. They were gnarly. I thought they were going to like kill me or something, you know? Yeah. So with Luke, he's the only one I, I told and, and um, he's like, dude, I'm, I go, hey, it's blank contract. You can kind of fill in the numbers. He's like, this is, what are you doing? I go, I'm going to start a sunglass company. He's like, dude, I don't need this. He's like, just let's take that and put it in the sunglass company. I want to, I want to be the guy who puts the team together and, you know, be part of the Australia thing and be partners. And I was like, sweet. So he was like the first guy to kind of do that. And then the next guy, um, the other guy who did the same thing as Luke was Axel Paporte in Europe, because he was our main guy in Europe, big mountain snowboarder, and he mm. did the same thing. I remember him. He did the same thing. He's like ginger, no, right? No, not no, not so. Axel's. He's from Belgium. He's mm. won the um, King of the Hill. He's won. For, he's one of the gnarliest big. He was like gnarliest. But anyway, we Axel did the same thing. He didn't want to do it. We made him partners, and then. Um, how did the Luxottic uh, guys not give you a non-compete? And That's the the craziest thing. Like, they kind of fucked now up. Now we gotta cut that out of the fucking podcast, bro. No, they didn't. They didn't. Yeah, so everyone asked. You know, so like, they, you know, if they're like they that protective and that, like, it would have been a no-brainer to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I yeah, mean, they I'm fucking just, blew it. They blew it, and then I saw um, Leonardo's daughter who ended up taking over our net and cool girl but she wasn't from the industry or anything and she's super rich now I mean she was rich then and I saw her saw her at the trade show and she was like my dad is so bummed that you didn't call him let him know what you were doing and this and that and I was like I was like Paula your dad is awesome I learned a lot from him but like I didn't want to work for anyone anymore. Yeah. I like I worked. Push, I your worked dad taught me not to talk to him. About yeah, I worked. Yeah. I worked for Greg for nine years, and now I'm like, I, I don't. I don't want to work for yeah. anyone any any longer. I'm like ready to do my own deal. Like, she was cool, but I was. We were really worried about them. So we got sued by Oakley wow. in the beginning, which was super. 
fucking gnarly. We had to go to Oakley, settle some crazy thing with decentration and lenses. And we settled it for like hardly any money. We hired some lawyers and it was done. And then I had guys like... Did they think they could just put you through the ringer and, and liquidate? Well, what, so what we figured out really quick is like we could settle with those guys for like time relatively nothing and if we're the first ones to settle with it they'll use that as a precedent because they were in lawsuits with smith spy nike everyone and we settled the lawsuit within like two weeks we had latham and watkins paid them all this money we did all this shit done and then the day after we settled i was getting calls from nike i was getting and this isn't like some stab tiger wood like i was getting calls from everyone going what'd you guys do how'd you guys do it whatever and i was like confidentiality we can't say anything because i was like we're done it's so heavy yeah. because you're non-compete you didn't get a non-compete from exotica exotica no. but then oakley comes oakley steps in it's like no 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 yeah well you're not gonna get your entry to your pathway to to bit new business yeah. Well, we're gonna fuck with you. They were still, they still had a bad taste in their mouth with Greg, and they thought. But Oakley is owned by Luxottica too. Well, right? no, at the, the time, time they were oh. they were publicly traded, and Jim Gennard was still calling the shots, and they thought they were, could, you know, we didn't have anything to do with Greg. We had nothing to do but with them. As a big dog with your comp- young competition coming up, that you yeah. know they have uh, that crazy was, success. That and was crazy their strategy. You, yeah. you either buy them or you, or you put them, put them in, put them out, put them in the courtroom, and yeah. you, just, yeah. you know, they were, bleed them. Their part of their strategy was being lit- yeah. litigious. So yeah, they bleed, could yeah. like put people out. So we were just like we settled it, and then yeah, buy you and shelf you, or freaking buy you and bleed you out. That's so, crazy. But we were, we, that was another thing I learned from Greg. Like, when I started working for Greg, like, he was, he was, he was ready to, like, get in fights with Will Howard at trade shows and Chewy Reina and the Dragon guys. Like, these guys were ready to go to brawls. And we kind of, like, keeping myself for, like, it was, like, a different era. You know, it was, like, me growing up surfing in the 70s and 80s. Like, that yeah. 90s was, like guys were ready to brawl and then and we were just like dude we want those guys to come to our parties we're like yeah. high-fiving everyone we're not like we don't want to brawl any yeah you know so did you see that success that arnett had in those first few years with electric like did it so it didn't happen as quick like um arnett was like seemed like it was immediate and I was thinking it would be the same because I knew Arnett's playbook and I saw how Arnett was going. So I was like, we're going to suck right into this vacuum right behind it. But as we were sucking into it, Spy started sucking into it and VZ and Dragon. So all of a sudden we, we, we were like this killing everyone. And then myself and Kip, we like helped like, and then we thought we would just, but then all of a sudden like, because Spy had just been getting there. And and then the other thing, <laughs> which was gnarly, is Gothard went to Spy. I was like, damn it. You know, so all of a sudden, you know, and and, and Dragon started making some really good goggles and they had Robin Shep, so it was like, oh shit, we're in a fucking dogfight again. God yeah. damn it, man. Yeah. And, um, but it was only probably two or three years into it. And then all, all of a sudden, VZ got, they kind of like, struggle they got bought by bill bong 
and Dragon. I don't know what happened to them. I remember Gothard called me one day and he's like, dude, I'm not working at Spy anymore. I'm like, what happened, dude? He's like, I blew away my numbers. They had to pay me too big of a bonus, so they let oh, me go. Look at the guy. Like, talker. I was like, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, all right. But we, we kind of um, persisted, I think, and kind of like outlasted and um, Dragon and Spy had been around since they kind of got a little beat up by Arnett and then you know we came in and and I think the best brand that benefited out of it was probably like Smith and Oakley like when we kind of electric came in and we had good relationships with those guys like Jed Smith who was the president great relationship like Ronnie Nelson like and I was like dude we'll send team guys back like we were like no drama with yeah. anyone at all mm. I mean in our in, in any industry you want you want good competition yeah but, it's you, like know, the craft but you also these industry. are guys that you're like it's still a brotherhood in, in a way you know yeah. you don't want to like it's like you want to beat want, people up but you, you want you, you know you could go yeah. down to the SEMA conference you want to the DVS guys and Gary Valentine from Globe twist you up in a pretzel but at the same time it was like healthy fun competition yeah you, know? you want everybody to succeed but you yeah. you want to be on top at the end yeah. of the day yeah yeah because so electric run the electric run was like um you know it was funny because i had so many guys from Arnett going, well, you can never do the same thing, and it's a different era, and times are changing, and this and that, and and we we didn't hire anyone from Electric, or from Arnett, to start Electric. Like, the only, yeah. the only person we hired, we were like, I'm like, the first per I'm like, Juan Ashton, I'm like, we're going to hire Juan, for sure. Scott Bouchard, which was one of my main marketing guys for our app, nice. we're like, we're gonna hire Butchie. Bush, Butchie. Um, we had that all lined up, and then um, he started for us, and then um, he was also Billabong, and Billabong was by VZ. Mm. So like, he he went out the window. So um, if I think back on it, the only guy rep we wanted to hire was. Um, were those two guys and we kept Juan and as far as team guys besides like Luke and Axel we were like dude there's a whole new crew of fresh guys the only other guy who came over which was Hoy and he was partners in the Australian business Matt Hoy but for, oh. the, for the yeah but for the most part it was all Hoy Hoy Hoy. It was all new, fresh crew, yeah. and we were like, "Yeah, man!" Like, and, and I'm like, "Man, a lot of those are net reps. They're making so much money. They're doing so good." The only thing that kind of fucked us up is we had a couple of Billabong distributors out of the gates who were Arnett distributors, and they were making in Europe. They were making like they had huge Arnett businesses, yeah. and they saw what was happening, and, and we hired. The Billabong guys and some Billabong, and so they all left Arnett to do electric. And 12 months later, they bought VZ, so they had to switch. Oof. So that was like a huge kick in the nuts. Yeah. Um, at that point, then we just went. Uh, we kind of figured it out. And, but uh, yeah, man, it was it was. Um, all of a sudden, it was like, you know, we're like 
people are like, oh, it's just like, um, is electric just like our net? Like, no, it's totally different. Yeah. Like, it's totally different. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it, like you said, it's a different era, you know? Yeah. And, and you guys went after a lot of the, the new youth and the new look and the yeah. new vibe instead of and, smart and to was, not hang on to the, there was, the old guard. There was brands that we kind of aligned with, which was that next new wave, which was like Volcom and Hurley. Um, DVS. Um, DVS. Yeah. Great one. Volcom, Hurley, DVS were all. Mr. Brandy Faber. Yeah. Fabe Nuts was like, he was one of our first team guys. Um, all those brands, even like, um, you know, um, who else? Was, I mean, Volcom, Hurley, DVS, they were probably like some best of partners. the best partners yeah. and those are the people we hung out with yeah and we were it was Volcom. i mean Volcom, Volcom was a huge yeah Vol- i mean yeah Vol- Volcom was just like the synergies there yeah um and there was a few more people um quite honestly um from Volcom, like kyborg was like kyborg was kamale kyborg kamale yeah um those guys were well kyborg when he was 15 and 16 and he was i mean we used to travel around the world when he was doing jujitsu and with andy and bruce and he was arnett with those guys and then when we started electric like kyborg's like i'm on yeah. and then you know Kamale was was bruce, on. bruce was bruce was never um because bruce and andy were tricky because they were make they were in these big contracts that i did for him and then they were like bro what about electric i'm like <laughs> Look at those dollars again. I can't pay you that. I'm not paying myself. And they're like, oh, okay, bro. And then what was funny is Andy made that just easy switch into VZ. And then when Bruce's deal came up, I was like, we were trying, we were offering Bruce, like, we, we were pretty much going to break the bank for Bruce. We had all this stuff gone. And then he went with Oakley, and it was probably the best deal we never did at the time because we. We whatever it was, we just put it back into like yeah. parties, and everything else, and trade shows yeah. or whatever. But That's we were like, tough. and at the time we were like, because we were always thinking like, oh well, Andy and Bruce will just be part of Electric because they were part of our net. But the coolest thing about both those guys is, um, like, they were they were always just they were big fans of um the relationships and they we had good relationships all the way through yeah. which was cool they're big fans of the dollars and the zeros yeah <laughs> it was uh it was fun like you know when i was working at podium with favor yeah and, and watching the synergy of of electric and and dvs and having sharing the same yeah you know, Dylan Graves. Oh, Dylan. We had great. Gabe Kling. Yeah, all those guys. And, and what, so, so what's amazing about all those guys is none of those guys were our net guys. They were all new guys coming on. They were all part of DVS and, and, and Podium. And, like, they were, you know, Dylan Graves was like, that was Juan's guy in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Gabe Kling from St. August and all of a sudden we had like Puerto Rico and then these guys became like international guys and I mean Gabe Kling was on the tour and but look at Dylan Graves now like yeah. so successful yeah but those were early days it was before Vans or anything it was yeah so did you guys have like an 
in, in game two? Like, because they're coming out of... Yeah, like, so our, our end game was... It was... We learned a lot from Greg, and Greg was like, look, guys, build this up, get this thing rocking and rolling. And um, we didn't had no idea what was going to go on, but he's like, get this brand profitable, make money, and um, yeah, find the right partner. We knew right away after like two or three years, like Kip and I would go to the Balboa Bay Club with Renee and Richard. We'd go have a nice lunch and, you know, Willie called me up, hey, Bird, um, you know, we want to get together with you guys, see how you're doing, like, you know, we got a lot of, you know, let's see what's going on. See if we can work something yeah, out. Yeah, Renee would out. be like, so, hey, um, what's your guys' revenues? I'd be like, um, we're private, Renee, and he'd be like, I'd be like, what's yours? And he'd be like, yeah, we're private, too, you know? <laughs> he'd be like... We'd have yours and I'll show you mine. Hey, what do you mean? Renee was so, (laughs) I mean, such an awesome mentor, even for us before we sold to those guys. But we'd have great conversations. And in our mindset, we were like, look, if we ever do, like, when those guys went public, we were like, holy crap. High five. And, like, we, it was, it was like, we would have thought we went like we were so stoked for him because we knew how much work how much effort and we didn't even think at the time how what it kind of meant for us that we had all these like partners and synergies we didn't even really think of that it was like working for greg when i didn't think of my salary we were just like high-fiving them partying with those guys all the time surfing with them it's it's so mind-blowing to think like your friends your peers your colleagues your bros have done this incredible thing of creating, sustaining, and fucking blowing up. Oh. You know? Well, the, like, the thing, the thing. Making more money than generations. Yeah, and the, and the thing comes down to it is when you, when you kind of look at, 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 at some of the things, you know, it was crazy. When, in 1985, when I was first on the national team, and there was 10 guys at Quicksilver, and I rocked in there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to Bali, and Paul Gomez is like, yeah, man, I'm the team manager, what do you need? Give me a shopping bag, and Danny Kwok's like, hey, take some board bags from Prolite, and there's guys like, yeah, bro, yeah. I'm like, yeah, when you get back, we'll see. and I was like, those two guys, you know, went on to Quicksilver, Volcom, and Hurley, and whatever, and I'm still, you know, I could probably call them right now, and they, I still still do every once in a while, like, if you text them or call them, probably not as often yeah. as I should, but they'll be like, bro, what's going on? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it's just those, gets back to those roots and those yeah. relationships, which yeah. came from 80s to 90s to 2000s, and, and nobody... And we're surfers. Yeah. Dude, the funny, you know what the best thing yeah. that Richard Wilcott used to say? And we would, we'd be on the east, we'd be in these crazy places or whatever, and he'd have his team, or my team, and he'd, he'd go, We're surfers. That's what we do. We're surfers. And I was just so like, true. I was just like, Yeah, that's it, man. We're yeah. surfers. Yeah. That's first and foremost. We're surfers. Yeah. We're out here surfing. Yeah. Simplify yes. life and yeah. simplify it. Yeah, the word. So sorry. <laughs> go back to. So Volcom gets 
Yeah, full public. Now Welcome they got now public. they got money. They got Try, all this trying money. to look under the hood. Yeah, they they have all this money, <laughs> and we're like, oh wow, and I was like, Ooh, okay, and then um, Nixon, who um, I was on the, you know, two of my closest friends from um, the early days when I was at Arnett was. Um, and they're still two of my closest friends in the world was Andy Latz and Chad Denena. And Andy Latz was his kind of trek through Burton was almost like parallel with my trek through Arnett. Yeah. And we hired all these Burton guys and I'd end up in Burlington and Andy was in charge of all the production and hard goods and soft, whatever, not soft, mostly boards, boots and bindings. And he was an engineer from, from Columbia, but I would hang out with Andy and party with Andy and got to know him really well during those years. And then Chad Denena was our ad rep at Transworld. So I got to know both those guys really well. Um, went, one of the trips I went to Cabo with, um, Andy Latz came, I think Big C came. Heck, we had like some crazy trips. But but those those guys, um, the, the Nixon guys, um, from that era and um, they were kind of part of that same kind of forward momentum that, that carried and one of the things that you know we we had team riders that were the same and we would talk business and we were friends and then you know I'd have a lot of conversations with those guys and I was I was on Nixon Board of Advisors and had a little percentage in the company, and then um, oh. one day all of a sudden I got a I saw I think it was on Chappie Surf or something Nixon sold for fifty six million to Billabong I was like holy shit I was like sent Andy an email Andy what does this mean he's like oh, Bird don't don't worry um, we'll either cut you a check or you can come to Germany and pick out a Porsche and I was like. Wow. Come to Germany. Yeah. Pick out a Porsche. Yeah. And I was like, awesome. And he's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll take care of the paperwork later. He's like, you're already, he, he's like, look at some of the stuff you signed like six years ago. It's all in there. I was like, really? I pulled out this thing. I was like, didn't you? He's like, yeah, you're all sweet. God. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So what happened then God was I, I, I said, this so, um, man, it's, shit. it's like Christmas. Well, I was like, well, I was like, and, and there was like, you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears along the way and, and risking a lot of stuff yeah. and financials and relationships and marriages, all kinds of shit. But at that point, um, he's like, dude, um, you got to talk to my investment banker. I went to Stanford with her. She's from Wharton School of Business. She's, uh, she's sharp as hell. You got to talk to her um, straight away. And I was like, all right. Called her up. And uh, I remember when I first met with her. And uh, she's like, yeah, Andy said we should hook up. I want to see where you guys are at and check out your deal and see how we could help you, whatever. And I remember she's like, um, do you know these podium guys? I was like, yeah, I know these guys really good. She's like, man, I've been trying to get a hold of them. And they won't return my emails. <laughs> they won't return my phone calls. Wow. Like, I think you know, like, uh, I can help them out. I was like, really? I remember, like, I was like, let me call this guy. 
like calling the boys and they were just like no way <laughs> I remember, then I remember one night, I remember seeing Tim, Tim Gavin, I was like, bro, dude, you gotta call this girl, like, what are you doing? He's like, and I remember a couple years later, they're like, fuck. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, no, they, I, we spent, after, as soon as Nixon sold, I spent about two years with this investment bank, and we spent a lot of time and preparing the company for a sale and an exit. And we got our shit together. We got it organized. It helped us with our strategy. We took it to the market. We took it out to, you know, I, my first call was to Richard. I think he was in Tavaro. He's like, hey, what? What the hell? Okay, you gotta wait. Don't do anything until I get home. And we took it to like Quicksilver and Oakley and had all these brands excited. And like, I thought Oakley was like craziest thing. They were super interested. And I was like, wow, that'd be crazy. And then they were, called me the guy was running Oakley it's like we're about to get enter negotiations with Exotica we can't talk to you guys and then I remember Bob McKnight had Bernard running the company and like Bob like Bernard was jerking around with us and I remember seeing him at SEMA and I was like had a few drinks I was like Bernard what the hell dude you're not answering any emails we're saying this killer thing and he was like super cocky and I was like fuck is that is that common for like those type of super guys? common like those guys to kind of pry into your inner inner well, and well, you know to kind of well, look at your books and entertain? So, so the thing is, is like, um, the the smartest companies usually can remove their ego, which is like guys like Wooly were great at doing. His yeah. dad was a great mentor. And no matter how rock and roll you are, how much money you're making, or where you're at, like that's when you need some good guidance, investment bankers, people talking to you, whatever. And so we, you know, we quickly, we went, we went through this list of crew and then um, we, we couldn't agree with Volcom and there was like some stuff going on and Willie's like, he's like, dude, we gotta go to the Bay Club and have lunch, I'm pissed. And like, we went and talked and I was like, came back to my crew and I was like, dude, we, got to figure this out and and we like did and Wooly was like his thing was like well dude that's the way we figure shit out we just go talk or we go so we figure it out you know and and so that was one of the things I you see in business a lot of times people have such ego or they're so caught up in their company or they're yeah. so caught up in their shit it could just be a conversation and now it gets worse with emails and texts and social media yeah. and like dude the easiest thing is to call pick up the phone and then it's even better when you do it in person yeah. so that was something absolutely like we did we sorted it out we got it going and and that part of being Volcom was like again a whole new learning experience we went through the the crazy freaking global financial crisis and then we kept going and like it, it ended up it ended up being awesome so yeah. it was great what year into Arnett's life I mean Arnett electrics so electric started in 2000, around 2005, um, we started preparing it for sale. So all to like 2005 and six, getting everything kind of really tightened up. And um, we took it to market in um, June of 2000. What, what was your sales? Um, we were on track um, for 2007 which was our um, 
seventh full year, we were on track to be about 25 million at that time, which was awesome. Dang. And yeah. and at that time, I was talking to some of our partners and some of the people in the business, and like when we were like 12 or 13 million, like two years before, and um, everyone was like, why are we doing this? Why are we talking to an investment banker? Like we could be 50 million, 100, we could make this and that. And I had a couple, but I had a buddy who I started Pelagroso with, who was a commercial real estate guy, and I was on a lot of surf trips with him and asking him what was going on. He's like, "Dude, there's gonna be a crash, like shit." And I was like, "I remember going, all right, this was like two years before it happened." So we sold the deal, closed. Um, we we um, started in. June of 2007 and by the time we weeded through everything and did all the due diligence like they had big Latham and Watkins and Deloitte and then we had all these guys and I think some of the time like Louis like I can't believe your margins are so strong I can't believe your day sales outstanding which is your collections are so like we Tight. we ran that shit I go dude we're running it like you dude it's reverse model it's fucking um, party in the front, business in the back. This yeah. is as tight as you know, fucking see a company. And um, when we, we sold it, it was um, we closed in January 2008. And in the last three Before. months, it was Volcom was at like 52 when we started their stock. And by the time when they bought it, it was at like 26. So it was gone down. And, um, and then in 2008, um, went on a, the Volcom trip to Tavarua. First time I went on a Volcom trip, and um, Dan Clock was on it. We had like some epic crew, and that was when the, the stock market like went yeah. like in half. <laughs> I remember it too. I remember as clear you went as out day. The you went out through the doggy door, dude. We're sitting there, we're surfing all day, and Wooly's like, "Fuck!" And DK's like glass of wine and he's like yeah Willie I've seen this happen in the 80s it'll happen now we'll be fine we'll come out of it just good yeah and Mr. Zen two or three years later they were back on and instead of going public for however much that they sold the company to caring for like 600 million yeah and then just like and during double down during that time we were part of their deal and it was just like it was a a zen-like experience, dude. So, having, dude, imagine having like Richard, the CEO, the chairman of the board, DK, one of their main investors, Richard's DK. dad, Tommy Gunn, the freaking gnarliest pirate of ever, J-Dog, Troy, like all on our team. It was just like, it was, it was just like, holy shit, man. Like, yeah. It was rat. So, Play, stay to the playbook. Don't let the numbers like. No, you know, stay to the playbook. Just stay so to the playbook. Arnett, yeah. right? Yeah. Two years into business, the third year they sold, right? Yeah, like 36 months or something crazy. Yeah. And they were doing 20 something million. Yeah. Right? And that was, yeah, that was just unheard of. Unheard of. Yeah. And it's, I, I wanted to bring this up because, uh, you know, we're talking about the same kind of business, but in a different time zone, right? Mm -hmm. Like, different there was no fucking other brands. Dragon, 
Bon Zipper. Yeah, when, oh, when Arnett started. Yeah, when Arnett started. Yeah. But the trajectory and the, the velocity of business happened so quick for, for him, yeah. for them, yeah. for you. And for us, and it, it sold was, for it how was, much? It was a, uh, Arnett was like $100 million. It was crazy. Fuck. Dude. And Greg was like, yeah, he, he crushed it. $100 million. Yeah, it's like in crazy. Th- 36 months. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Crazy. And that's just, you know, like when, when we talk about it again, it's like, holy shit. Like, yeah. That was like a rocket ship ride, right? It was a train. And, and Greg used to say, let's just keep this thing on the tracks. Yeah. You know, and then and then your company, Electric. Yeah. Your seventh year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And your seventh year, we hit about the same sales. Yeah, twenty five mil. Yeah. And so it was about half. It took twice the amount of time. But yeah. We still. And, and I'm not trying to like downplay what you did. Yeah. But just the reality of business. Well, and, it's the and pie, also like the pie, all the. The pie got divvied up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like by a bunch of different exactly. brands. But the success of, of his yeah. and the su- success of yours is pretty st- hard to do. It's hard to fucking it's really do. Really hard to do. Like, yeah. And you did it twice. You're yeah, part, it, was really, it was really hard to do. You know what I mean? You, you're, yeah. you were part of the execution <laughs> yeah. of both Two sales. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, wow, like, bro. Yeah. And, now, and all during that time, too, like, we were. We were doing shit like, I mean, we were fun at, shit. At electric, we were doing fun. <laughs> we we kept a lot of fun shit going. Most of it we did. We were part of SEMA and like Dick Baker kind of recruited me. I mean, that all started how we got into SEMA was, I, it's infamous and you were right there in the middle of it. There's videos of it, but Cabo. It was a Cabo yeah. Lakers game. Uh huh. Um, I think I think uh, Lyndon Carter, Mike Carter, worked for us, and somebody else. Valentine. Yeah, GV. That was it. And he was on the board at the time. But the You're Lakers, the Lakers won. It was we the biggest celebration. It was like straight out of Philly shit. And I was like, <laughs> it was so rad. I remember. Well, I didn't care about the Lakers. Like Derek Fish hit the shot. They won the game, and I remember this place went from like Yay pool too. tables to flags upside down. Everyone going crazy, and I was like, "Wow, that's the best night!" And then I remember like about four or five days later, I had a call from uh, Dick Baker. He's like, "Bird, um, we got a little bit of problem. Like, you know, we think electric could, could be a you know helping SEMA, and we're trying to help you guys and." But uh, um, we have um, we have video of Lyndon and Mike Carter and Gary Valentine as like the three primary suspects. The <laughs> the bill is ten thousand that Seam is getting, which is really light. The bill should be like you know fifty, but it's Mexico, so you guys have to put in like you started 30, right. you guys got to put in like 3300 if you want to stay a member of SEMA and I was like bro it was I was out of pocket for that well it's crazy so fucking so Kip, Kip bail me out at all Kip goes like this he's like I don't I don't know if he was there for that so I told him and he's like he's like oh okay he's like how much is it I'm like 3300 he's like oh, okay no worries. He goes, who? He goes, who? What is? I go, yeah. They got some. I go, it's funny because 
So you got a couple of... And they got some video of Carter and whatever. He's like, yeah, just fucking cut the check. I was like, yeah, no worries. So we cut Should have been working for them, Lenny. But, dude, we, 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 that was, like, so we used to have a slush fund for cleanup. Yeah. It's like Mr. Wolf from the, uh... Gotta always have hey, that. That was my first Pulp Fiction. You gotta always Same. have that. that first black account vet for for podium as sales. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we had a, we had an account for that. We had one, one time we had we destroyed like three vans in Mexico. Oh, I heard about this. Early of, of electric. I heard the in, called infamous. Up, yeah, I called up our our guy and he's like, okay, um, how bad is it? I go, it's pretty bad. There's like two that have no upholstery, no spray paint all over, no windows. Like, I I think they might be totaled. And he's like, um, all right, um, do you have anyone in the company who didn't go down to the meeting? And I was like, yeah, well, there's like four or five people, but they're, they're all, you know, some girls are working and they don't want to go. And he's like, okay, um, they have to drive the vans back to the place and just drop them off and don't answer any calls, don't answer anything. And then once you get a letter, just send it all to me and we'll, 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 we'll clean it up. I was like, all right. So one of the, the vans, all the windows were busted out, no upholstery, like sharks. One of the vans. This is for electric? Electric. One of the vans, this was like 2000, right when we started, yeah. we didn't even hardly have any money. One said, I love strippers. And so we got the office girls driving the vans back and people were like honking at them and I'm like sorry girls oh man that sucks and uh we I heard up, Jack, Jack Morrissey almost died yeah we Morrissey was there Luke Steadman was there Mike Todd was there we and we ended up we ended up settling with the guys didn't you guys have to buy the vans yeah well we didn't they they we settled with them but it, it probably cost us like 20 grand and we had to like basically <laughs> buy two vans which they totaled insurance paid but our our like our lawyer was like mr wolf like took care of it yeah like, same thing with sema like we're like, hey dick sorry we'll yeah i wish i was involved. working for like yeah. electric back <laughs> our, our, totally <laughs> our fault you know <laughs> uh, uh, he's like well i think you need to be on the board of advisors yeah i'll be on the board you know we like smoothed it out yeah like whatever hey, but, you know you like learn. have a good time. You like got to pay to play, I guess. Yeah, it was kind of those things. Again, we were like, you know, we knew a lot of those times going in, there might be some damage, yeah. and we're like, yeah, we'll just try to collateral you know, damage. Collateral hey, what's damage. What's the deductible? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll, yeah. pay, we'll pay extra for a right, So I got a letter from our lawyer. He wrote me this funny letter, and I plated it. I put it on the screen at the next sales meeting. He's like, um. Um, Bruce and Kip, uh, this is uh, your attorney. Um, I feel I need to make some comments that you need to share with your team. He's like, first off, um, it seems like there's some anger management issues. <laughs> there may be some alcohol or drug abuse issues. These could be referred to HR, but we can help if there's anyone who needs to reach out. And, he's like, oh. and everyone's just like, well, everyone's freaking out. And then at the end, he's like, and uh, next time you have one of these things, call me up. I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Holy shit. How come I wasn't invited? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Don't get caught, stupid. Yeah. So yeah. they thought they were getting stiffed fun, up by the lawyer, time. but he was, yeah, making light of it. That I mean, that's... So yeah, big. those were fun times, man. So electric sells to Volpe. Yeah. And then... Stock market crashes. Willie and I had some conversations. And then we, we kind of persevered and stayed to the 
course, and then they sold. And then around that time, it was like Wooly became the chairman. He was kind of checking out, and I was like, the new kind of regime kind of yeah. came in, and I was like, uh, yeah, it didn't kind of jive too well with those guys. So, so to, <laughs> the jump ship from two, you know, being two decades in, yeah. in, in sunglass, you, you go to tequila. Yeah, so the tequila thing was really interesting. So, and... Way before everybody. Way, like... Way before. Yeah, like, so tequila, so uh, I, I'm like, I was always beer and tequila. That was you said your commercial tequila. friend, your commercial banker yeah, so, friend. Yeah, so what happened in 2000, um, I was down in Cabo with my ex-wife at the time, just her and I, and I went out on the East Cape and she was hanging at the hotel and I came back to the hotel and she was like in the pool, like drinking margaritas with this other couple who were like really fun. I was like, she's like, yeah, meet these guys, whatever. And guy was cool. And he's like, yeah, I love tequila and beer. I was like, that's cool. I was like, yeah, me too. Yeah, he's yeah. from San Juan Capistrano. He was in commercial real estate. I was in sunglass business. So we ended up um, being members of the Monarch Bay Club and spent a lot of time down there paddling and surfing and hanging out. It was a cool, cool place in the, um, his company was growing all during that time from 2000 to 2008. My company yeah. was growing and he was one of the guys who, who kind of said, hey, you know, we're going to get out of this real estate business and cash out. You should, so that was good advice. And at that same time, he was like, what do you think is uh, something killer? And I was like, well, dude, I, I think the tequila business is a huge business. The multiples are this and that. He knew some guys in Mexico. Dang. And... This was right when we sold Electric, um, you know, a month later. Um, and we'd been hanging out at the, the Monarch Bay Club with Carl Nolette, who um, owns Kettle One. The distribution has been in his family forever. And he knew we liked tequila and beer and he liked vodka. And through some mutual guys, we, we ended up going down to Guadalajara to meet... Um, to meet... Um, the Gonzalez family and the Gonzalez family is the Don Julio family and the Gonzalez brothers their dad is Don Julio wow so it was a full mafiosa style cartel meeting and we went down and I was freshly cashed out and he was and through some guys we went down and we had this long lunch and tasted their tequila and told them what we were into and everything else and we were kind of like Theirs was high end. We were like, it was whatever. And at the end of the meeting, I was um, like, hey, I told him some crazy stories about Cabo. And, and I was like, dude, I've been going to Mexico forever. And it was always hard to get good tequila. And if we could find Don Julio, we were never Cuervo guys. We were always Don Julio. And I was like, is your dad around? And they're like, yeah. Um, the Don Julio. D Don Julio, they're yeah. like, yeah. We want Don Julio taste, but not at that price Yeah, point. yeah, so pretty much, exactly. Yeah. So, um, long story short, um, those guys are like, yeah, um, let's, let's, we'll see if my dad's up, go, we'll go meet him. I was like, unreal. So, and I'll send you guys some pictures. So, you know, an hour later, we're at Don Julio's house with his two sons. And I'm telling them, showing them electrics. I got photos of them with electrics and talking to them. 
and uh, telling him what my kind of vision is, and his brothers are there, and, and he's like, Senor Playa, <laughs> I am really concerned with you. I'm concerned? Like, yeah, concerned. Like, and I'm like, what's he saying? They're like, uh, he has some worries with you, with you, because I was like, telling him about the kill. I'm like, um, yeah, well, Mr. Gonzalez, what's the problem? He's like, I think you might drink too much of your own tequila. <laughs> and I was like, what's why? He's like, oh, you have to be very careful. And he's telling me this. I was like, okay, cool. So we had a great meeting with Don Julio. I'll send you guys some photos. And then that was kind of the start. He's speaking of, from experience. Yeah, that was kind of the start of our, our thing. And there was a lot of trips down there. And we learned that business and got into it. Got some good partners. Tell, um, tell me, he said, hey. Oh. Senor La Playa. <laughs> Drinking too much is dangerous. It's peligroso. Well, so we didn't have we didn't have the name yet, right? So um, we didn't have the name yet, but that's one of the things he did say. He said, "I think it's it's dangerous." Yeah. And we were like, "Hmm." And then he, I have a bottle from him. He's like, "Senor Playa, Don Julio, whatever." So, or Juan Gonzalez. Dude, so I got a, I got some photos. I sent you guys. It was amazing. And then we we. So what was crazy is I just sold the company to Volcom, and now Kip and I are employees. And I hadn't been an employee since I was Greg's employee like seven or eight years ago. And Richard's like, hey, we got to have an employee review. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. So he's checking off the whole thing and the whole thing. Everything's gone great, you know. And I told him, you know, after we sold it, I said, hey, I have a, um, a... something a passion I'm interested in it won't interfere I'm gonna hire guys as different investors I'm not running I'm 100% my contract I know what it reads so in my employee review with Richard I still have it he's like very concerned about Pelagroso and Bruce and that he commits his time and right now it's a tricky time you know and I was just like and, and then what was cool was like two years later he's like yeah, check. Okay, good job on the Pelagroso. You haven't let it interfere with the job. So I had to be really careful with the Pelagroso. And then um, then the, uh, I'll wrap Pelagroso. this up. Pelagroso. So um, the, the Pelagroso thing was, was super cool. Um, it was a new category. Um, learned a lot about uh, a new business, which was kind of spirit, beverage world. And um, did you see other people doing it? No, and what's it? like it's kind of like the thing we now. were we were again, you know, a little bit ahead of the curve at the Way time. Ahead. We um, Greg Long, Rusty Long, um, Mark Healy, they were all partners. We Damn. partnered with um, the Big Wave World Tour before they sold to the WSL. We sponsored the Totos contest. Gary Linden was making agave boards for us. This was all before like Cuervo and yeah. Yeah. I heard Randy and W like those guys just kind of like they they we kind of did it a nice little playbook for that. Yeah. We um, sold it to Diageo, which was which was cool. Um, but with that, it was um, it was it was tricky because. I was actually um, running 
electric during the time that was going on and I um, I wish I could have been actually putting time into hands-on running Pelagroso and put the right you know not the right people but maybe additional people in place and some other stuff but it ended up being a, a great time great learning experience we we you know for the most part got the money back for the investment and um, yeah it was, it was it was fun it was super cool. So you started it, and then how long did we you... Start, we started it in, I think, 2009. We launched it in 2010. We sold it, like, three years later to Diageo, which is, you know, they're the largest liquor company in the world. They own, they own Ciroc, um, Kettle One, they own um, so many brands. What were the, like, the, the challenges in that market? Was it, like, the distribution? Um, that, like, so in that market's... Um, challenges are uh, from it, it, cash flow is huge. Yeah. It's a it's a huge pay to play. You got to have a lot of resources. Like we started with, you know, a million and um, um, Casa Amigos. George Clooney started with twenty, and we were like right there, thinking we oh we're gonna kill these guys. We raised another million. They raised twenty million. And, you know, they sold for a billion dollars. We sold for 12 million. And it was like, you know, I knew the revenue multiples were like 10 or 12 times. So I was like, oh, man, if I could build this up to 25 million, like electric could be worth 250 million. So, but it, it would have took a huge amount of money. And at yeah. the time, I was still trying to run electric. I was going through a separation, a divorce. So it was just like a little bit, a little bit too much on my plate yeah. at that time to but focus on it. And my, so, what was your nut of starting a business? Million. A million. Yeah, a million dollars. And, and you I, sold for we, 12? Yeah, but we had debt and like we put in like, Raise extra we put capital. in a lot of money, yeah. personal money and so loans you, and all kinds of sh yeah. stuff. So, at the end of the day, like we, we got out of it, you know, like kind of like with our shirts on our back still, you know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, which was which was which was cool. Um, I did a consulting agreement with him for th three years, which was awesome, um, and that kind of led into the Depactus thing, which was you know um, a whole nother brand in a whole different category, and we had some great stuff, some great momentum, and yeah. again, I think that the practice thing was probably a little bit ahead of its time as well. Way ahead of its time. Way ahead because, of its time, dude. I mean, if you really think about it, it's a bunch of brands now that are successful. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that it's adventure, travel, it's, 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 it's like, because we, we kind of saw what Quicksilver is doing with, with Waterman, and we're like, God, that's a, like a water, it just sounds old yeah. and old school, and we're like, there's there's a new group of kids who are who are diving and they're they're, they're fishing surfing and, and they're, they're yeah. fishing and they're like they're 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 doing they're out in nature and their adventure and travel and they don't necessarily care so much about con contests but they like you know the travel performance and, the, yeah. and, st and there's all these kind of factors that we. That we who, had who going. Was, who was the founders of Depactus? So it was me Luke? and Luke Egan. Okay. Yeah, and we were equal partners. We brought in some other guys, and um, you know, there was there was there was there was challenges. You know, like 
So did you spearhead the whole thing? Or? Luke and I did. We were like equal partners. Yeah. And I was. It was kind of like I was running the sales operations and finance, and Luke was more running the marketing, creative, and, and how, how did the uh, middle on a lot of stuff. How did who came up with the name and what does the name was mean? the name was tricky. Um, we originally the name of the LLC was called um, Deep Set, and it was like a you know kind of like a deep set coming in and, and our, our logo which i thought was killer which was is like a upc code which was kind of looking uh from the ocean in what a set would look look like nice. so it was yeah. it was all around you know the water and the, and the lifestyle and and what the original plan was to kind of be um, a more modern uh, Patagonia, yeah. you know, or Arcteryx, uh, Filson, and those were all the brands that we really looked to inspiration for. And we spent a lot of time in the Northwest. We had a killer creative agency called Instrument, which was our partners, and and they spent a lot of time in kind of developing what the the look and feel of the brand, which was based on on the stuff at that point. Luke and I. Um, you know, after having really successful runs at Electric and Billabong and stuff where we were just kind of like, hey, we can wear what we want. We want to be our own bosses and, and stuff. So it was it was cool. And we had some great people. Lawrence Quigley was doing all of our board shorts and all of our technical stuff. Um, my, my wife um, came from Nixon and she was real involved in a lot of the um, creative and production, Tom Reese from Fulcrum. So we had like a great crew. We had yeah. some great athletes. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, you know, there's just ch challenge challenges, yeah. you know? And well, it's, it's crazy because like, you know, we, we talk about all the successes. Right? Yeah. And it's awesome to talk about successes, but it's, there's no shame in, in like well, creating something yeah. that had fucking potential, yeah. but it didn't work. You know, and, like whatever that and means. You're not timing and you're money. Not, and so yeah. you're not gonna have successes without failures. failures. Yeah. And a lot of times, any time you're personally moving forward or in business or your life, whatever. And I, you know, I remember like, you know, Brad Gerlach's been coaching my son now max beach for four or five six years and and a lot of times he would see his clips or see his videos and he goes well you aren't gonna in you're not gonna perform at a higher level and get better unless you fall yeah. and unless you start doing stuff that you're not going to make and and it's not conservative so like to get better you 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 know you, you can't always be worried about you how to, you look or yeah you have to know what that think like failing or falling yeah feels you're like. gonna have to fail and fall to kind of progress and, and it's, like, um, it's like going out in big waves and you got to take a couple uh, on yeah, the head gonna, and you're like you know it's not shit, that bad right? yeah and then come <laughs> come back and go yeah hopefully i'm still alive yeah. <laughs> so but you know the 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 practice thing was um yeah it was it was challenging it was it was you know I and for 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 me personally the um, the apparel business again it's it's a very it's a very different business um, from um, eyewear or 
fashion accessories and very different from beverages or, or that uh, that other business. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, we had a crack at it and whatever. No yeah. Deal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's crazy because, you know, that is such a different category. And there's so uh, yeah. much more fucking work to it. Yeah. It's fast fashion. Like, I mean, but you also got to have your, your core and your logos got to sell. And you got, I mean, there's so many movements to clothing. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, sunglasses and, and, and tequila, it's, it's a product that, you know. Everybody wants. Everybody <laughs> wants. And it's, but you're like kind of pigeonholed in a yeah. good way yeah. of making a certain thing yeah. where we're clothing, you know, it's like, oh, do you have the right board short? Yeah, there's so many sizes the right fucking and lengths. Do you have the right chino? That, yeah. that was the one, shelf life isn't the that, same that except for some perennial stuff. One of the but, things yeah. like that, that from the sunglasses that drew me into the tequila was like, wait, we can make basically four blends or three, four models. Three, we can make Blanco, we can make um, Reposado and Anejo. Three. Basically, three SKUs. Well, yeah. 750, we can do them in 375s or 50s. So now you're at, at the end six, of the day, eight, you're yeah. at nine. Nine yeah. SKUs. Total. That's it. That's all you need. Oh, we did a cinnamon. So now you're at 12. That's it. It's yeah. the same consistency, the same everything. There's not sizes. Count There's fill, not baby. seasons. It's like, yeah, talk about <laughs> count fill. And sunglasses was a little bit similar to that. And you know, you, you could have your kind of cash cows and your design matrix and just go, hey, you don't need to have hundreds or thousands of SKUs. You can yeah. just rely on some Fuck. solid stuff. Less is more. Yeah. Less is more. Less is, is more. Yeah. So I like more. After, and more. After the practice, you got into consulting. So after the You have a mortgage? No. Guy? So so after the <laughs> so I, don't know. I have my mortgage license. That was like, you know, a lot of my buddies super successful real estate guys and I never could see myself as a real estate guy. Um, there's great guys in San Clemente and a lot of my good friends are real estate guys and they're crushing it. Um, but I've just never been that real estate guy. I've been more of yeah. a, a brand guy. And so for me, um, after that, I kind of, um, I did two things. I got my mortgage license and I ended up just doing mortgages for families and friends and people on the side and you know made a little you know a little bit of cash there but more than anything i i couldn't it was weird i was never really passionate about you know helping people with their credit and organizing their taxes and stuff like that it, it was it just gets, like it, boring it's a me. little personal yeah knowing, and a lot yeah, of my friends like you like you didn't want to open up your books to, yeah. to people within your and, industry and I, kind of, i've had some people who who i've done mortgages for um who i never who were just like dude i trust you get me this house get me this refi and i like made it work for him and and it was killer but at the end of the day i was i was always more of a brand guy and so you know over the past four or five years I, i've been involved with some what the hell is that noise i don't know we're getting some i think it's a dishwasher i can't you see Ice machine. Anyway, I I I started doing consulting and and um, some of the brands I worked with have been great. Like um, Darren Madrigal, who um, yeah, been the Volcom rep. He has a brand called I Dome Shelters, and um, you gotta get one of those. I, 
instrumental in um, helping him his, build his business plan um, with his product, helping him do his, his uh, um, go fund, you know, his um, Kickstarter. Kickstarter, raising all the money, and like, and I love doing that because it's a great product and I love it. And there's been a couple other brands I've been involved with. Um, Zone Arc is a women's swimwear brand. Um, State of Ethos, old filmer yeah. Dustin Humphreys, and involved yeah. with helping him. And I don't like all those people who did who are doing or did those brands are super creative and passionate and like awesome guys and girls. So it was it was fun doing those projects and you know and and now I'm kind of like um, been working on a, another project for about two years, which is. Uh, um, which is a non-alcoholic beer company. <laughs> so, so nice. like, that's you know, always been. You're in getting it. soft on us? No, it's it's funny <laughs> about kidding. that. What's it called? Um, we don't have actually. The name isn't out yet. We have the name of the LLC, which is just an LLC to you know open a bank account and kind of do the things. We we have a a brewing partner who. Um, helped us brew the first um, first batch, which we're, which is a uh, basically um, what you call proof of concept, or you know, six months out before we go to market, which is Delahunt in uh, in San Clemente, and they're just like great guys making great beer, and we kind of brought it to them, and they're like, yeah, let's see how it goes, and we contract out to you guys and see how it goes. So we're we're early stages now brought some for you guys to try yeah and um look i love beer and um but for us it was just um something that like hey maybe you're in training yeah maybe you know your wife says you need to get in shape maybe you're a designated driver maybe you guys you just can't drink but it's a it's a market that i think is uh it's a big market out there so yeah there's something we're kind of like yeah. Well, if, it, if it's as successful as like all the diet, like drinks and soda, uh, you know, which yeah. is yeah. like bigger, which is NA, all yeah. that stuff, yeah. which is bigger than like almost the, the regular market, yeah. you know, so there is a niche out there for that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's awesome. You just keep moving to oh, yeah. different segments of <laughs> business models and, yeah. and, uh, and categories. And for me, the, you know, like... One of the most important things going back to, you know, growing up in New Jersey is, is surfing as much as I can. Yeah. Surfing every day and, and living know, a healthy lifestyle. Living and, a healthy you know. lifestyle and like, it's like, at the end of the day, like the surfing roots to me is like it's the most important thing. Yeah. So yeah. when is this uh, beverage company launching? Uh, it'll probably be about six months from now. So like May June next year. Awesome. We'll get going. So there's no name for it yet. No name for it yet. It's okay. uh, it's it's totally underground. But we will be the first. Yeah. When he wants to launch. Yeah. It, yeah. Right? We have a code name. Well, the name of our LLC is Volume Brewing uh, Company LLC, but that's not going to be the name yeah. for the beer. That's kind of been our yeah. code name because we don't want it that the actual name to get out too early before we. Oh, we no, got a lot sure. of a lot of you know things to put in place before we're ready but something we've been working on for a couple of years couple yeah, of years exciting. now which is cool yeah super cool
Look at this guy. He's always on to something. Yeah. 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 Trying, man. Like, yeah. you know. Like, well, you know, uh, Late Night and Chalky over here, you know, we, we definitely like um, You guys could be drink. brand ambassadors. <laughs> we could put the, uh, we could be a sponsor. There's all kinds of cool shit we could do. Yeah. Well, that's the next question. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm going to have to have some alcohol on that, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you could, you could, dude, there's all kinds of stuff you could do. At, at some point, there's potential to maybe uh, THC and cannabis, well, I mean, but that's at, a whole other ball. I mean, going back to earlier in our you know interview it's like yeah we're surfers it's like that's beers and do. tequila like i mean that's kind of yeah. like your your yeah. go-to you yeah. know like yeah everything else is good but yeah not not a, you know not the go-to yeah the go-to is tequila yeah and beer and when you're surfing and you're surfing with your friends when? or your family or you have a good session there's nothing better than having a nice cold beer or tequila with your friends it's yeah. killer yeah so um Max is Max up, Lucas Beach. Yeah, that's what I said. Up, up and coming. Yeah, surfer. He uh, was trained by the great Brad Gerlach, Wave yeah. Key. Uh, you're saying he just signed on with uh, a couple people. Yeah. So um, he's uh, he's more passionate about surfing than than me. Um, you know, he's has that same level of passion as like as Gurr. Um, he's got a crew, uh, you know, his sparring partner um, with Wave Key um, is Tara Watanabe from Malibu, yeah. and uh, those guys have been competing together since they've been ten or eleven, and it's it's really fun to watch them progress. And for Max, it's like, you know. I've it, it, it's tricky when you're in the industry and all this stuff and I've always kind of wanted him to do it on his own and everything and and uh, you know the the best I think thing I was able to do with him is is to make surfing fun and travel with him and you know once he started getting to a certain level I was like or not even a level but I was like man I, I don't want to be that little league dad um so yeah. dave dave post i started seeing him all the time so i got the postman to help him awesome. for a few years and that's when he kind of fell in love with surfing in newport and 56th street and learned hunting how to surf huntington better and better and better which is kind of a prerequisite and and things and then uh i was watching taro just progress and i was like damn He's getting super good and start talking to what his What secret sauce is he on? He's on the Gurr Wave Key program. So um, around, I don't know, 2016, Gurr and I went surfing down Swami's one day and had a great day. And Gurr was like, yeah, I'm into it. And so they've been working ever since. And the greatest thing about it is, and look, I don't know if he's going to, you know, I think professional surfing is going to be his career. I don't know if it's going to be free surfing. I don't know if it's going to be teaching. I don't know if it's going to be um, competitive or, or whatever. But the love know, of it, the love of it, and getting to learn the the tech, the technique from from Brad, and like you know, and the relationships and the people. He's in France now, and um, you know, he's he's kind of like embedded. He's hunker down in Hasegore where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I used to be hunker down all the time. He's surfing yeah. great waves and meeting great friends. And he's got a cool little crew. Um, 
called Silent Rock TV, which is a, a couple of dudes from uh, Dana Point, um, Ian Gotrin, and Colton Sullivan, and, and um, um, Patrick O'Connor. These dudes are just like, they're all the same age. They're Kevin Scarvana, who's a longboard, and the, these guys are all surfing and having fun and traveling, and it's rad to see. And the, the coolest thing is, you know, coming full, full circle, we were never, you know, I was kind of like the same. I was like, well, you need to have good boards, right? Now, fins, because back when we, I was surfing, the four, fins and the boards were one thing. So now you got to have, have good, good boards and, and fins and traction. And, you know, um, he's been with Timmy Patterson for the last three years or so. And that's just been amazing, like the best, coolest thing ever to see him work on boards and progress and FCS and that was always his thing and, and then um, wetsuits he's been with Isaris for a few years which is just rad dudes with Abraham and local guys and and um, he hasn't had a clothing sponsor because it was like we were like you know product you know you got to get bo you know your boards wetsuits these are things and then so recently it all kind of came together and he he um, signed up with Rourke which is awesome those guys are like just love what they've been doing. Ryan Hitzel and Ryan Siriani, back Faves and Me um, Meckling, Meckling, yeah. like just cool, you know, bottom up. And stuff. it's like a hometown brand hometown, for you guys. Hometown Laguna. Know? So he just signed with Work, which is huge. Um, he just signed with Electric, which was like, what? Awesome. And um, how weird is that? Well, I've been wearing Electric pretty much since forever because they've always made great glasses and um, just kind of feel it's it's part of my DNA no matter who owned it or who was running it yeah and, and, and especially the last few months they've, they've brought in some killer killer people Eric Melberg's their marketing uh, director and um, Randy Snowy's Ch back right Randy Childress is in there and, and um, Josh doing the sunglasses and Carl and the creative. So they got this like, it's a, it's a killer vibe. So I was like super stoked to see him with Electric and with Rourke and with Timmy Patterson and um, Iceris, like all local brands, yeah. Yeah. which is which is, which is is rad. Cause nowadays, you know, there's so many corporate and bigger things. Yeah. And I was like, you know. Well, they appreciate like, you know who you are and what you you contribute to the community outside of just ripping and, and being yeah. an exposure yeah. to the brand you know when yeah. you have that local community connection it's it's huge and i think that's kind of lost in our industry a little yeah. bit you know like that kind of core feeling yeah. you know it, it is for it is for sure and you know one of the things you know I, i've always told told max is like dude like do what you want, hang out, you know, he, he's kind of carved his own path, which is, yeah. which is cool, cool to watch. And, um, yeah, it's, it, 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 it's cool. And like, for me, I'm, I'm stoked. Cause like I ride Timmy Patterson's, I wear Icer sweatsuits, I wear electric and I'm like, I love the product, you know, and now, you know, he's got deals with those guys, which is cool. Yeah. Well that, and he gets to travel and, and kind of, live the life that yeah. you lived and that's kind of the most important because it's like man we're so fortunate like oh, we're dude. young to do the traveling and 
go see the world. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And those, those kind of things, like, you can't put a price tag on them, man. Yeah. And, like, even, a, you know, here with Full Circle, we're, yeah. we're talking about history and doing stuff, but that's, that's part of it. You guys have kids and board riders is so rad and the communities the surf shops like <coughs> to me those things like surf shops being the pillars um the surf contests whether they're nssa board riders whatever yeah. like all that kind of kind of stuff is yeah. is just like La- lars said it a couple times it's like you know it's one thing for you to enjoy the ride yeah but for your offspring to enjoy the same ride is yeah. more oh, yeah. satisfying you know it's oh, like it's more great. gratifying it's like yeah whoa well you could you could kind of you know try to expose them and and and, and you know get them you know kind of in the mindset but i mean as you know surfing's a hell of a drug and it's like so addicting yeah. and it doesn't take much you know, yeah. a couple of surf trips, a couple of good experiences, a barrel, this and that, and all of a sudden you're like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know? Sign and, me up. Any wave pool experiences? For me? Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Um, I, was, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about that the other day. So, yeah, I, I used to, we used to do a lot of fun shit at Typhoon Lagoon, man. Industry <laughs> shit. Craig used to rent it out our net for the night, like, Gothard and I would like, we had body surf as far as we could to hit our noses on the thing. So, and freaking scrape the, yeah, the belly. So I had, I had some fun times there. Um, quite honestly, other than that, I've, I've, we were, we were trying to line up my son and I, we we're going to go to Waco a couple times and it just didn't, didn't work out. And, and he's never surfed a wave pool ever either. And he's, like, Come on, Dad. Let's his, go. Let's his go. air game is is gnarly, and like it hasn't been practiced in a wave pool. And then, you know, I mean, obviously Slater's is kind of like the, the Tabarua or the bald face. So, um, I got. I think I gotta get my get yeah. figure out how to get up there and get you, onto that. You got to do that. Yeah. Place. We've experienced it a couple times. He's yeah. Done You've done a lot, but yeah. I want to. I was. I want to. Want to talk to. Aaron Pie and I was thinking like be cool to go up there with the HSS guys but they all surf so good like I don't yeah, know you, you gotta go with a crew that I might have to yeah. go with a couple like snowboarders or something that, yeah. in, in, in between the like <laughs> that's you know, a smart play yeah. nine kids and the 15 grandkids it's not a lot of weight Dude, left those over guys are, yeah. I mean they're all ripping so hard up yeah, there yeah you definitely want to go with like okay lawyer lawyer doctor doctor yeah. uh okay get yeah. on one of those old like professional 50 year plus guy trips but you know what it doesn't matter ripping too i've seen i've seen guys that could barely catch a wave and they just go straight and they make the whole wave and then i've seen pros that you know like they it, it, it's yeah. it's kind of just luck of the draw like yeah. it, it's yeah you want to but you gotta stack the cards to your to favorite your and now there's yeah. all this new rad shit going on yeah um which is cool so yeah i'll get out in the wave pool i like for me it's right you know riding the bike down the lowers and you know ripping ripping out there with the patterson twinny and catching a couple waves and i'm just like oh, elbows, man, elbows for free and so I don't even patterson's what you're riding 
I, 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 I've always, like, I started riding with Timmy's, like, first time I went to Tavaroa with him was just 20-some years ago. And, um, love his boards. Um, I have a few, uh, Christensen's. Chris Christensen is one of my nice. good buddies. And got a couple of his boards that I'll pull out for different occasions. I got a, a Tyler Warren Bonzer my son got me for Christmas, which is super, yeah, fun. I got like a couple Rusties that I still bust out that are good. And so, yeah, I, I've, I try to, you I try to quiver. mix it up. Yeah, I got a good quiver. Yeah. That's how it should be. Oh, yeah, you got to stay, got to stay psyched. Yeah. Got to stay psyched. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shit. It's bedtime. <laughs> oh, shit. Even for it's late nights. Late night. Late night. Even late nights tired. Dude. All right. Thrown in the towel. Good. Awesome, boys. Crocodile Dundee. Hey, thank you so Bird much. Awesome. What an incredible fucking like, journey so far. Two-part two episode. No kidding, dude. Like, I, it's, it's just so bitching to hear, you know, your experience. Like, all, all of our guests have, like, unique experiences. Yeah. yeah. And the, 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 the beautiful thing about all of it is we can all relate to it to some degree, you know? Yeah. But it's like we're surfers and that's what ties us all in. But, like, man, like, how crazy is it that you're a, a New Jersey dude, right? <laughs> and you Jersey. start coming out here, you know, when you were, like, 13, 14 years old and then just kind of made a name for yourself but then you you uh went to college you know and fucking worked went to the caribbean yeah caribbean yeah, for a little Tom- bit or what is it st thomas yeah u.s virgin islands yeah there's, there's some killer spots there. after you graduated from college yeah there's this little spot i lived at which was called uh and like for for you know when you when you're yeah, like growing up and you're you're uh kind of like getting older right and you're like okay what the fuck is what am i going to do now sir what am i going to do now figure out <laughs> you know i think that's where you, as jay just said how am i going to figure out to keep doing what i've been doing for the last 10 yeah. years yeah but, you know to maybe keep look like i'm a little more responsible and yeah you know but it's just it's just uh cool to hear stories of how you know hey Sometimes you don't know what you're gonna fucking do. Uh, yeah. You don't, dude. You know, well, and you it, get to, you, you come out to California, you start modeling. <laughs> like yeah, really? That was funny shit, dude. <laughs> but but you know, like you start modeling, modeling, you know, whatever, you know. Red onion, yeah. Red onion, parking cars, man. But you know what? That Laguna Surf and Sand, Bellman. Those were yeah. like those are things where, you know, I. I wouldn't trade those for anything, man. Yeah. Like you couldn't, if I had to go back in time and, and I wish I had in my mind, I could put when I'm at the, the red onion in 1990 and, or 91. And I was, I think I might be judging a few NSSA contests and Richard Wilcott comes skating up on his skateboard, just shooting the stuff what's going on man just parking cars what are you doing like oh man i just left quickie man i'm doing some t-shirts making some stickers bro cool 
<laughs> you know? Those so are crazy. Like, yeah, I, wish I, I wish I could, like, I wish I had a video of that. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. all this, all that we're talking about, it's like a movie. Yeah. Like, the shit that you've done, it can be written down in a book, and people would be interested in reading it, and people would want to see it on the big screen. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, dude, from there, being 23, and all of a sudden, you get hooked up with Arnett, and it still baffles me to 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 <laughs> listen to, to yeah, like think about like how you you weren't on the clock <laughs> to to go hey you know like he's demanding you to come to him to I work am. and not just work but like he's feeling you out you know oh what's this guy like okay I'm gonna play tennis with him I'm gonna ride. Miles and miles and miles of of road, road biking bike, with him. Mountain bike. Yeah. Go surfing. And, and whatever. Here you are. You're like naive, right? You're like naive and going, fuck. I just I don't know. I, I'm just gonna you know I'm working here. I'm working here. But I'm yeah. I have a good feeling about this new brand called Arnett, right? Yeah. And then you you don't like think about pay title. Yeah. future but it, there it is I it, think you know like you can look at some successful athletes too and when they're um, when they're at those stages where they're just like let's just say they're at a good university or you know they get drafted in the minor leagues in baseball or high school whatever they have a college they get it they're not making any money they have a great coach right and they're on a great team yeah. and they have like a mentor and all of a sudden they're like you know, they're they're just. It's one of those things it's an where internship. they. It's an internship. It's yeah. an internship where you gonna, know if you if 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 you work hard and you put in the time and and you you could be part of something special and you could grow and learn and you just kind of have in in your mind that the financial stuff will work out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In hindsight, you think that. Yeah. In hindsight, you you realize that. Yeah. But at the time when you're, but doing he didn't it, he didn't quit his other jobs. He wasn't really, you know, like it's you Larson. got it. You got Larson. No, no. You listen to me. <laughs> Guess what? He had he had two other jobs, and he was like, I'm Lark, I'm not quitting everything and just going and work for free. He's Lark, feeling it out. He's making money at these other jobs. Yeah. But he's blindly going to this job yeah. that the guy's kind of demanding him to well, work. I wouldn't say it was blind. Seven it was, it was, in the morning. Yeah. Ten hours, twelve hours a day. And then he goes to go model making a shit ton of money. Yeah. But like And the guy says, Where were you? Yeah. But those those modeling and commercial <laughs> things were like a diamond dozen. Giant a diamond dozen. Man, fuck you with your diamond dozen with that. Who's how many right? how many models are there in this world? Not that many. I'll tell you what. So man, the modeling the modeling thing is. Um, I've read a couple things about people who've been successful at it, and the, and the thing is, you, you the kind of thing is you're kind of like used and abused and, for sure and you you but don't really it's totally you're just I totally, an object you know i totally yeah. agree with that but that 
at the time was your main one of your main things. Yeah, but it's something that I didn't want to. I, I I did it as kind of like survival mode, and there were some rock star moments. But I was like, "Fuck, man, <laughs> this isn't what I want to. I don't. Oh, I don't want to be some. Oh, totally. It's super unreliable. Yeah. Super unreliable, yeah, dude. For sure. And you know, you couldn't count on that shit, dude. Yeah. Like I know, I know a guy right now. We're still on. Like yeah. yeah. Um, we're still he's one. one of the most successful models, photographers, whatever. John Watkins. In the oh, yeah. Guy's Waddy. a legend, dude. Waddy. He's, he he's, pops up on my feed. We're like, he's still doing modeling. Dude, he's, uh, he's awesome. And sometimes I'm like, dude. Like, he hasn't aged a damn he, day, that guy. He's chiseled. He's in good shape. He's, he runs. He surfs. Yeah. He does all the shit. But, like, he's crafted out, like, such a unique niche. Yeah. Like, that is, like ultra hard to do like yeah. he's his own brand he's subsidizing it with his photography and doing shit yeah. and like like he's been doing that shit since he was freaking surfing 18, in the OP Pro that's gnarly yeah. that's yeah. not easy shit to do yeah, yeah. like he's, I wouldn't want to do that he's dude. the man I, I'm responsible for getting him into being a wedding photographer me and my wife are you? Like, yeah we're do like do shoot our engagement photos and then it's like hey will you shoot our weddings I don't do weddings we're like I don't know <laughs> Because I love you guys, I'll do it. And then he turned out now he's crushing it. Oh, and yeah. then he got hit up, and now he's like, man, Small world. now I'm doing fucking weddings. But he's still, right. you know, it was never like again, doors open up. You're just yeah. doing yeah. somebody a solid, and you're like, dude, this is cool. I'm gonna hook you guys up. But, yeah. yeah. Well, it's just it's just funny, you know. I, I hate to belabor the point of oh you do your relationship. You want to go back to the your relationship? Repeat everything with Arnett. That did really launched your. It did, and we'll get him on here sometime, and he'll tell you. He'll be like, "Oh shit, dude, you wouldn't have believed it back in the days yeah. when we were pushing his car down the street." Hey, hey, Woo! This shit, Bruce, this shit's turning hey. off. Bruce, we, uh, we broke the internet. Monsieur Plage, <laughs> uh, Senor Playa, Playa A.K.A. Bird, yeah. A.K.A. Birdman. Fuck, what a what an incredible story. Oh yeah. man. Thank you. Alright, All right. peace. Bonsai Bulls. Hands down the best bulls, period. Seven locations. Two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bulls. Go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill. Clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You could also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuax is the best 
ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Foo Wax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams, for our awesome artwork, and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.